And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Makeup, hair and makeup. You know what? I can't hear either. What's this insanity going on? Oh, that's because I didn't plug in my headphones. Well, welcome, folks, to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Monday, the 13th day of November 2017. I just want to welcome everyone to the uh, program tonight. We've got a good show for you lined up. We've got, uh, uh, we, we've got the first hour is going to be news and analysis of information I think that you, you folks need to know and uh, some hard hitting analysis of the headlines and then hours two and three joe we've got doc coming on from um dr david berman doc will be berman. our guest yeah um he's got a, a very interesting yeah. background he is a pastor he's also a doctor he's an author and a radio show host and we're going to cover a whole host of issues with him from christian uh, persecution the christian church, right? christianity everything that's going on here domestically and globally in the christian world as well as Islam, the state of the church, what's going on in the political world, and his um, the book is called Wake Up and Smell the Truth, and we're going to be looking at that as well. And we got a lot of places we're going to get into in this first hour. We got the whole first hour open, and we need it to cover a Man, lot of ground. Yeah, we do. Go to HagmanReport.com. That is our website. There you will find all the content that is added to the site, as well as content from Peter Barry Chowka. He wrote a few articles. Um, and posted them He's today. On fire. He He's is. On fire. Both of these articles are about something you talked about on Friday. That is Judge Roy Moore, the accusations against him, and the Sean Hannity interview that he did with Roy Moore on Thursday, I believe, and the call for sponsors to uh, stop advertising with Sean Hannity in order to try to remove him from Fox News. Sponsor boycott. And we've yeah. seen a lot of uh, things happen this weekend with the Hannity sponsors. Four or five sponsors left his show, one of them being the coffee company Keurig. And there has been a lot of backlash to that. We were talking about this on The Daily Show. Um, did Media Matters jump the gun? Media I mean, Matters for a America. scandal. That's he, right. Uh, Hannity's not going to get caught up. Um, I don't believe, you know, in his daily life, you're not going to see him get a DUI or... Uh, some of these things that other people get in trouble for, and there might not be any real opportunities to try to get him off the air. So my question is, he didn't break any moral lines. He didn't break any legal lines. You're talking about Judge Ron Moore now, right? With the interview, right. right. Which on Henry right. was just interviewing, giving him, as Peter says in one of his articles, the first um, chance to respond to the attacks. It was the first interview he gave after the... Um, uh, accusations came out against him. Hannity interviewed him, and now he's in trouble for doing that. And the side he took. See, and did, didn't I say this last week? Uh, I'm not sure if I said this <clears throat> publicly. I think I did. You did. You talked about it on on air on Friday. This uh, okay, and I mentioned it today at on. Uh, I, I was with uh, uh, Pat Campbell, KFAQ out of Tulsa, 1170, invited me on this program. So we talked about this out of the gate this morning. 
and I, I mentioned this on my morning show. I, I think it was, it could have been last week, I don't know, but today. This is an attempt to dethrone Sean Hannity as much as it is to remove Judge Roy Moore from the race, from the political race. But you, you cannot, in my view anyway, Joe, I don't think you can separate the two. The, the war against Sean Hannity is ratcheting up. And of course, as you mentioned, behind this war is Media Matters for America. Uh, one, yeah. one of the, now, ostensibly, allegedly, Media Matters for America, I believe. It's my belief. Allegedly, reportedly, in my view. How's that for, <laughs> you know? No, no, seriously though. Um, and Peter Barry Chaka, uh, does get into this. I would urge everyone to read and share on social networking his articles. Uh, Sean Hannity Unplugged, Embattled Fox News host, opens up in rare interview. Yeah, that goes to a Jesse yeah. Waters show. Yep. On Fox News. There's about a 14 minute interview. The link is at the bottom of the article there. And then the one that, the other one that Peter did, Sean Hannity is fighting for his survival details what happened since Friday the 10th of November to uh, up till today where we have seen a number of pro, um, of advertisers pull their advertising from the Sean Hannity show including the Keurig uh, coffee company Realtor.com, 23andMe Nature's Bounty all pulled their ads from the television show in response to Fox host Sean Hannity's coverage of the sexual misconduct allegations against Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore. And, and to be clear, the advertisers polling from Sean Hannity have nothing, to, this has nothing to do, at least this is my view, it's got nothing to do with the treatment of women, the rape allegations, the, and they're not even rape allegations, <laughs> seriously. Um, or the victimization of women. That has nothing to do with it. This is a proactive attack against Sean Hannity with the intent to take out Sean Hannity. Right. Take Roy Moore out of the equation. But but this is even less about Roy Moore with respect to uh, what we're talking about as it is Sean Hannity. it's, It's incredible. Now, we've seen this. We felt the same thing happened when we were talking about the homosexual agenda in the in the shadow, right before the, um, uh, what was it, 2014, 2015, uh, decision, uh, on, on, um, homosexual marriage. Or was that 2015? I don't know. All right. Regardless, whatever year that was, we felt the same thing because one of the, one of our, uh, sponsors, uh, at that time, had filed an amicus brief in favor of homosexual marriage. And we said, look, we cannot, we can't sponsor, uh, we, we, we can't run, run the ads on our show. So what happened was the ad company that handled that, that particular company handled two other companies, all three pulled out of our program and left us with a $70,000 a year deficit. Now, that was, that was anticipated income budgeted for the year. All right. So, uh, d- does it matter? For example, in Sean Hannity's case, yeah, I think it does. But the long and short of it is, is this is not about the, uh, about the accusations or the victimization of, of any women. And you've got to understand too, I find the timing of, of, of 
when you talk about Judge Roy Moore now, Joe, I find the timing very suspicious. Yeah, there is. 38 I mean, the, years. This is, you can't compare this to what Nita Broderick or any, and Paula, you know. Paula well, no, Jones you can't. Like and, that. um, let, let's look at this real quick. And one thing we gotta say is, you know, this Roy Moore situation is, is in the national spotlight, even though this is a, a, a locally, at least by state, <clears throat> election in, down in Alabama. And this is obviously up to the voters of Alabama, uh, what they're gonna do moving forward from here. We also have a new, Accusation: Somebody that Gloria Allred Ugh. had paraded out into the uh, spotlight, and she says, "A woman says Roy Moore tried to rape her when she was 16, oh, and then signed on. her yearbook." Now it's an interesting story. There's been a response to it by Roy Moore. He says he's never met this woman. He has never. He doesn't remember what restaurant she's talking about because apparently this lady was a, a waitress at a restaurant where Moore frequented. And this happened after he offered to give her a ride home, apparently. Now, uh, she's, what we're seeing in the news is a picture of, um, her yearbook that Roy Moore signed 30 years ago in 1977. Right. Um, it's, it's 40 it, it, years ago. Yeah, by the well, way. Well, the, what you said, you know, this is, these are 40 year old accusations and the, this is the first accusation of him uh, trying to sexually assault somebody, I guess. Is well, okay, yes. And, and now you have to ask yourself, this is not a guy suddenly thrust into the national spotlight. Right. The, the, this is a man who's been in the uh, local, regional, state, and, and even national spotlight. Remember, he was the he was the, the guy behind the Ten Commandments issue. Why at the time? Because he stood for such, he took such a moral position at the time. Why weren't these accusations made public at the time? So the timing on this stinks. And, uh, it, conveniently, I believe conveniently with this. And again, you cannot, I don't believe you can extract the, the two, Sean Hannity, uh, speaking out or, or Sean Hannity interviewing uh, Judge Roy Moore. Now, that interview to me didn't go well. I spoke with uh, Pat Campbell from KFAQ, and we were talking about that. And I don't think that interview went real well. It would be like uh, if you've ever testified in court. There's a direct examination, and then there's a cross-examination. And if you don't do what necessarily well in the cross, uh, there's a redirect examination. Sometimes I, I don't, I don't know if you follow what I just said, but, um, so, so you're, you're brought out on the stand and you give your testimony. You're asked questions, you give your testimony. Then the other, the opposing side gets up and does cross examination. And let's just say there's a few issues maybe you stumbled over or aren't clear or whatever. You, your side goes up and redirects. So, um, and gives you a chance to rehabilitate your answers. That's the process in a court courtroom setting, which I'm familiar with. So what I saw happen was more initially not doing well in the uh, in the initial direct examination, and then of course in the redirect he kind of helped himself. Uh, and now, but Sean Hannity is being blamed for giving him softball questions. But but here's the thing, and and this is something I've noticed, you know. Uh, how many times, for example, and Sean Hannity brought this up, I think it was Friday with uh, Richard Jewell, when he, remember the Atlanta, the Atlanta bomber, Olympic bomber? Yeah. And, of course, everyone blamed Richard Jewell, which wasn't uh, necessarily true. 
which wasn't true. And um, then the the uh, Duke lacrosse players and how many accusations of of actual sexual impropriety and rape were have been levied that were not true. Now that's not to say that that believe me. There's a, in today's environment there's a lot of, of and I will never blame the victim ever. Okay, and that's not what I'm doing here. But in this case, in this case, I, I think that there there's enough enough reason to ask questions. Why now? Why after all this time now? And then you've got people piling on. Mm-hmm. And then for merely asking, for merely interviewing the judge, Judge Roy Moore, Sean Hannity is now in the crosshairs. And, and everything he's doing is, is, I mean, he's being victimized by a campaign of political destruction. So, and, and this is right. the other thing. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say this because a lot of people I, I've seen, I, I watched some of the media reactions over the weekend. One of my favorite things to do, not really, is watch media reactions. And for this being a, a unconfirmed report over 30 years ago of unproven allegations, um, nobody came out before. This guy's been through four elections. You have to take that into consideration. Also, right. people in the media were comparing it to Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein. And you close. have to make the distinction because one, forget the, the, the person who came out today. Um, it wasn't sexual assaults that he was being accused of. Two, he didn't admit to it and then apologize for it. He denied it. And to, to try to compare what's going on with these people who are, uh, you know, being, being, um, charged or, or at least in the, in the court of public opinion for their behavior uh, as far as sexual assaults go, this is a completely different situation. So, for one, you can't lump all these together. At the same time, as you said, you can't blame or, or point fingers at the victims. You obviously have a question of the timing, why now. There was also a report by One American News Network that the first allegation against Roy Moore by a reporter at the Washington Post named Beth paid the woman a $1,000 to come out and make these accusations. That's being reported to on come out and make the accusations or yeah. to come out in four year, four year, uh, reporting. I'll, I'll, I'll pay you the money. No, no, it, it was not that. And apparently the lady has a recording of the conversation with the reporter. This was released from her, her sister or a family, a close family friend who knows the situation. So, that so this lady, Beth, the reporter approached this woman or, or basically said, if you say this, we'll pay a thousand dollars. So here's a script and here's a thousand dollars. Now that's about the first allegation, and there's a new one out today where this woman is saying that when she was 16, she worked at a restaurant, she was given a ride home by Roy Moore, and instead of driving her home, he parked her into the back of the restaurant and started groping her. Okay, yeah, well, I, look. Um, <laughs> so what do you make of this stuff? I mean, obviously, it's a national discussion. It's about a Senate race in Alabama, so you have the Alabama voters are you know, the ones who are going to really make this decision. There was a report out yesterday of a poll showing Roy Moore is still 10 points in the lead. And now you have senators saying they will not. What's up with Mitch McConnell saying he wouldn't seat the senator? I I don't quite understand that. How how is that even possible if if Moore wins the election? What... Yeah, maybe, they, uh, maybe I missed that class in, in uh, government or civics. How is that possible? What they're doing is threatening to expel Roy Moore from Senate if he wins the Alabama race. And 
what they say is the accusations against Moore have thrown the GOP into a crisis, splintering the party and risking defeat in the December 12th special election. On Monday, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, called on Moore to withdraw from the race and said that, I believe the women. I think he should step aside. Now, he goes on to say if he doesn't step aside, that he is going to expel him from the Senate if he is elected. Okay. Now, what the article... Again, how does that work? Apparently, they are allowed to... um, They can have state leaders, one, postpone the election or consider a write-in. Also, they say that they have an option where they are allowed to um, expel him. If the Senate votes, they can, with an overwhelming majority... Sort of like an impeachment. Because he doesn't meet ethical or moral requirements of the U.S. Senate. Well, this is something that we're going to watch closely, but but I I think this is more symptomatic of of what's going on in America today. And I think that what we're seeing here today is the consequence of a generational assault on our moral and national character. That's that's all, in my view, this is what we're seeing. And, And I... Boy, I, I was looking at some Twitter feeds over the weekend, and you know, remember when Sean Hannity? Now that I'm going back to Sean Hannity. Remember when he came out and he uh, was accused of, uh, and I'm not going to even name this in my personal opinion, this uh, morally repugnant uh, female. I'm not going to name her, but again, this is my personal opinion, who claimed that uh, she was blacklisted from uh, Fox News for not going back to the hotel with Sean Hannity. Now, in fact, she she blocked me on Twitter. Uh, This is the same person that brought accusations against plagiarism six months ago and then backed off of them? Yeah, we're talking about someone who really, in my personal opinion, is nothing more than an individual who is struggling for relevance, who has been, um, in my personal opinion, has got low self-esteem. And we see this with a lot of, you know, professional victims. Again, this is my opinion now. And... Uh, and it's a shame because this, uh, for, for a statement, for an individual like that to make a statement, well, I've been blacklisted from Fox News because I wouldn't go back to the hotel with Sean Hannity. And, and this is the same kind of person who the vulgarity is documented on Twitter, her vulgarity. I think, I, I believe she's one of the most vile human beings out there. And I believe that she is a, Sorry, uh, sorry excuse. And, and she's got low self-esteem. She's got esteem issues. This is my personal opinion now, just to be clear. Um, because, uh, you know, I can still have an opinion. This is America, right? Okay. So anyway, so those, those accusations, however, nonetheless stick. And, and you see, we, okay, well, me in, in this case, and, and Steve Quayle, for example, look, we're, we're victims in a defamation suit in, in federal court. All right. Uh, now that's all I can say. But, but see, the accusations, regardless of how meritless and how frivolous and how ridiculous they are, I'm talking in general now, 
you still have to fight them and you still have to fight the um the stain that it leaves on your reputation how how do you how do you remove that stain from your reputation well you can't i mean the the media has really done their job on on this one we'll say it's not true the the uh, accusations are not true they have ruined his professional name yes his career possibly his his senate run now we're getting some emails a few things one People are asking why hasn't this come up in the previous four elections? Well, I think I think we just we, yeah why? the timing is suspicious. Yeah, and then this uh, new lady who comes out today, we got a few emails. Somebody pointed out that child locks were not installed in cars till after 1980. The woman says that she was locked in the car and couldn't get out. Um, I don't know how that works. You know, you just open the door. Yeah, so there was standard somebody, equipment on my '71 Ford Pinto. That's one thing somebody pointed out. Yeah. We also got a. a an email from a Judy who pointed us to a YouTube channel called uh, Bombard's Body Language. Oh, yeah. yeah I've and seen that. says the body language of the Roy Moore accuser is all wrong. I haven't seen the video yet, but I you like watching these. The video. I like watching these body language uh, videos because yeah. they are kind of telling. So where does this leave us, I guess? The guy's reputation is ruined. His career is ruined in politics. Well, and uh, maybe. Maybe it's going to be up to the voters, but I think, I think more telling though is the the fact that the the swamp creatures such as Mitch McConnell, the the again the swamp creatures who, who say we're not going to seat you, uh, the the hubris of the permanent state deep state shadow government whatever the hubris of the establishment Republicans, where in the hell were you? When Juanita Broderick was talking about her allegations, where were you when Paula Jones and others were talking about uh, their allegations against Bill Clinton? Now they they actually were spoke about them contemporaneously, at least some, as well as uh, um, later on. But yet in Hillary, Hillary, what, what did she do? Uh, she facilitated the hiding of Bill Clinton's behavior and and took the side of Bill Clinton as opposed to the to the women and this is well documented so uh, by the way portions of nice broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks omahasteaks.com but I we had a great meal this weekend and uh, Omaha Steaks we had uh uh two two of their two of their filet mignons and they're fantastic uh, along with the uh, caramel apple tartlets, just fantastic. OmahaSteaks.com and put HH in the search bar. It's OmahaSteaks.com, HH in the search bar. More on that later. But, but you know, um, all of this that we're seeing again is symptomatic of, of this moral crisis. And morality or immorality has been weaponized. Yeah. Politicized. For people who like to blur the lines of morality to turn around and then use it as a, yeah. a benchmark to get other people thrown under the bus, it's pretty hypocritical. If I can just jump in here and say this before, before the bottom of the hour break, I did a, uh, I did my morning show this morning. I, I spoke about something, I believe that, that. Were you able to upload it on Global Star? Your show? Yes. Okay, I just want to, uh, not to interrupt you here, but we had an issue with our show today on Global Star. Todd had a, uh, cable line cut and he had an internet outage for four hours so our show 
was unable to be uploaded to the Global Star server, so it only went out. I, I cut I cut the lines. <laughs> uh, well, he said it was down for four hours at two o'clock when I talked to him. So, yeah, well, my, my show airs it. early from nine to ten. But but I did a show this morning, and I think it was. Uh, this is not to, to necessarily promote the show, although I would urge everyone to listen to my morning show this morning. I, I believe that what we're seeing today, uh, so, some some information has come out over the over the past week that to me changes a lot of things and perhaps the what we're seeing with McConnell and Judge Roy Moore and the allegations against the conservative base including Judge Roy Moore I think fits into this and what what I've what I've pretty much come to the realization of or uncovered is the fact that uh, the war against Donald Trump and I'd like to get into this after the bottom of the hour break is Donald Trump was entrapped or set up. In, in fact, Hillary, it's my it's my personal, professional opinion that, based on research and investigation, that the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC placed political operatives inside of the Donald Trump campaign, and it was during that time, or was from that those political operatives, that the negative opposition research came about. And I, 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 this was not just a mere passive. This was an active attempt to take down Donald Trump before the primaries and before the general election. But I believe this was done. Now think about the ramifications of that. If my conclusions are accurate, that the Clinton campaign and the DNC planted people inside of the Donald Trump campaign. I'm talking about the, in, within the inner circle. I'm talking about Trump Tower people. Not not campaign workers, but Trump Tower people, and I'd like to get into that on the other other side of the break. But uh, I defer to you now. So, what do we take away from the the Roy Moore situation? We can't know one way or the other what's true and what's not. We know that the first accuser, the mother of the first accuser, admitted to Breitbart that she was approached by the Washington Post reporter and really pushed into this. But either way, we don't know what happened forty years ago. And we do kind of know why now. Why are we seeing this now? Because it does seem to be a political attack. We're not defending him. We're not throwing him under the bus. It is what it is. And we have to sit here and talk about this because I want to get into on the other side what you're, what you were talking about Friday, what we're talking about earlier in the show about Sean Hannity and Media Matters and the left. We see how, uh, again, no moral, ethical, or legal lines were, were broken. But all of a sudden, he's in a, in a scandal now and, and being threatened to lose sponsorships, sponsorships on his show. We're going to talk about that more and the implication that that has for the alternative media when we come back. to this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Don't forget, go to HagmanReport.com. There you can check out all the latest news that we posted today, as well as the latest from Peter Chowka on Sean Hannity, Fox News, and a number of other things. We are going to continue to talk about Sean Hannity in the alternative media. just want to throw this out there. Rand Paul, 
we saw last week after he was uh, down for about a week after being attacked that people or prosecutors were saying that they were looking at upping the charges against his attacker. Uh, Rand Paul was cutting his grass 10 days ago, 11 days ago. He was tackled from the back as he was cutting the grass, broke six ribs, has fluid in his lungs, has a, a cut on his face, and his neighbor, and this was an unprovoked attack, his neighbor was charged with fourth-degree assault and released on Saturday on $7,500 bond. The talk of the charges being upped was at the end of last week, and we have not seen that happen yet. But Senator Rand Paul is going to—it's going to be taking months to recover. And this guy who attacked him is a self-proclaimed socialist and a huge Bernie Sanders supporter on social media and a huge Mueller fan. I just find it interesting that the charges are so lenient for attacking a United States senator, especially unprovoked. But what's interesting about this story is the media continuing to lie and to deceive, saying that this was not a political assault. This was an assault over a dispute over um, lawn care, which many of the neighbors in the in the gated community were interviewed, all saying that they've never had a problem with Rand Paul or his lawn, he cuts his own grass. He's one of the, I'm sure, only senators that cuts his own grass. And this attack was unprovoked, and he was injured pretty severely. Um, six five, broken ribs. Yeah, or five or six and the punctured lung. Now, it is a federal offense. Now, now, now here's my question. Where is the U.S. attorney on this? Right. Um, <laughs> excuse me. It's a federal offense to assault a, a sitting congressman or senator. It's a federal offense. So where's Jeff? Well, where's the U.S. attorney on on this case to file charges against the neighbor? And think about Rand Paul. That's he was yeah. in the shooting attack by that James Hodgkinson, right? Who shot Steve Scalise and uh, was killed on the baseball field earlier this spring, and now he's attacked again in what looks like a politically motivated attack, and we hear silence from the prosecutors, as you said. The media trying to make Rand Paul look like he deserved it for having not kept up with his law in the way that this neighbor expected it has nothing to. to. It's never about the spoon. Remember and, what I say? It had nothing to do with the lawn. Oh, absolutely. And the media, you know, uh, the way they spin this, and I wanted to take this back into Sean Hannity, because we yes. see we have, obviously, two sets of rules for TV broadcasters. Uh, depending on what they talk about. Sean Hannity, when he talked about Seth Rich a number of months ago, you saw this push to get rid of his advertisers to get him knocked off the air. That did not work. They got rid of Bill O'Reilly, but I think Bill O'Reilly dug his own grave to a great extent. And now... Yeah, I don't think you can compare Bill O'Reilly and, and right. Sean Hannity at all. Well, this was at the same time Bill got knocked off the air when they first tried to remove Hannity from the air. And now, six months later, nothing... All he did was interview somebody, and you have this push to get rid of him. But on the other side, you have, you know, was it Chris Cuomo who tweeted out a few months ago that you are intolerant if you won't allow your, your daughter, your 12-year-old daughter, in a bathroom with a transgendered male? You there have, you go. No, you no, that's a party. People calling for Trump's assassination, his impeachment, saying he's mentally unhinged. None of that ever, you know, is an issue. But heaven forbid you have somebody telling the truth who 
has a viewpoint or interviews somebody you disagree with or are going after, then that's grounds for, uh, you know, getting you kicked off the air and getting your sponsors taken from you. Which brings us to this topic. What does this mean for the alternative media? Is the alternative media a target? Are they, <laughs> A, media matters, the left going to continue to, um, try to undermine the credibility of all those who they can't silence? Absolutely. Is this, this the begin, is this just the beginning of another fight? Well, or is this a continuation? It doesn't matter. We're here. Yeah. And what should we expect in the alternative media? I think that's the question. Uh, folks, Peter Barry Chuck of HagmanReport.com, read his articles. Read, because it is so critical what he's bringing out and has brought out. Uh, and we could, look, didn't we not call this last week? Yes. Uh, and I'll, and I'll, I'll say, I'll be the first one to say I called this last week. I, I'm not happy about this, but I, I you, you can kind of see where this is going. This is to take down Sean Hannity. And one might say, well, he's part of the corporate media being Fox News. Why do you care? And it's just like America. America is a is a speed bump on the road to globalism. So if you take out America, there's a smooth path to this progressive national single global governance. If you take out Sean Hannity, uh, he's the stalwart. At, at Fox News, and I, I think you're off. You're sorry. As Peter yeah. writes in his article, I just want to read this one last sentence that was really good. He says the stakes in this emerging fight couldn't be higher. Sean yep. Hannity and a handful of other high-profile conservative hosts represent the last thin line in a mainstream media that is left standing against almost uh, uni- almost universal fake news onslaught by the mainstream media aimed at taking down Trump. He's saying Sean Hannity is the last of a very thin line in the mainstream media, telling the truth and actually sticking up not only for the president but his agenda and those who support the president. And, and, and there it I is. don't agree with a lot of Sean Hannity's reporting from 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but he's been doing an awesome job, especially uh, from this whole election cycle in through today. And it's been right on the money. It's been relevant. It's been important. And most importantly, it's been the truth and when we see that in the mainstream media, obviously these people are going to have a problem with it because they are so corrupt and they are still trying to cover up from uh, a whole laundry list of crimes that they committed in the 2016 election alone. So this is where, you know, this fight comes from. And any, any voices that are uh, against their agenda, against their narrative are going to be silenced. Just taking it to another side of this argument, look at the NFL. You have this push for political correctness from these anthem protests. And now the one person who's been trying to save the NFL, Jerry Jones, is looking at uh, other owners coming together against him to get rid of him so they don't have to, to pretty much face the the players and the, the battle between the players and the owners with this NFL protest that's ruining the NFL. Hmm. The NFL, obviously, it's uh, it's coming under a lot of uh, politicalization now, but um, we see this all over society from from uh, people inside businesses to the social media, the entertainment world, NFL, and it is the new status quo, I guess. If you disagree with the left socialist-slash-communist mindset, you're going to be outed in society. Uh, if you're a Trump supporter, any, any of those categories, a Christian, you know, you're going to be a white, you're going to be marginalized, you're going to be discriminated against, you're going to be hated on, you're going to be assaulted, attacked, and silenced. 
and then everything is your fault. And that's what these people are running with. And anybody who doesn't agree with it, they are so happy to throw these people under the bus. And it's only going to get worse, especially since we see people, systems, and institutions buying into this mindset. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly correct in, in that one. I wanted to mention, I don't think we've mentioned this, or if we did, it really hasn't been um, mentioned in depth at all. We have a sitting U.S. senator on trial for corruption, and that's Menendez, New Jersey. Okay, And he's a Democratic senator from New Jersey. He's on trial for bribery. He's on trial for for fraud and conspiracy. He's accused of using his Senate seat. Uh, his Senate office to proffer favors for big money campaign uh, donor Dr. Salman Melgan, I believe his name is. I believe that's what it is. Well, the jury's deadlocked right now. And I, I believe it's going to result in a hung jury. I don't know that to be, I don't know, yeah, maybe it, maybe it, it was it, already. It, no, it, they, the judge sent him back for, for deliberations, but they came out after four hours. And announced that they were deadlocked. Now the, the juror, see, you said it right when you started talking about this. You haven't heard any of this stuff in the mainstream media about right. this senator's corruption trial. One of the jurors was well, what thrown about off. impeaching him? Yeah. Even the, uh, many of the leadership inside the Senate was asked if they were, if he was convicted, would they throw him off? And they said no. Um, because there's nothing in that says a, a convict criminal cannot sit. <laughs> In his position of power, apparently. Well, but anyway. well, think, think, think if he got, think if he was found guilty and he's in prison, would, would he still be able to govern? I don't know. This, this was an argument that hey, was give going me the phone on through the bars. About three weeks ago, they were talking about that very yeah. scenario, and it was being said how the senators are not saying that they'd remove him, or he, there was a way for him to continue to serve even if he was found guilty. So what happened? A juror was kicked off of the jury last week. I thought she, I thought the juror had to go on vacation. Was yeah, that's what, that vacation. was the whole deal. When they tri- started the trial, she said that uh, one of her concerns was that she had this big vacation planned and she didn't want to be inconvenienced by the trial. Be careful about the words. I don't think she was kicked off. I think she was released because of her pre-planned okay. vacation. Well, I, yeah, I read this last Friday. Um, but long story short, she said last week, that the jury was going to be deadlocked. Now, sure enough, today they. But, but that's even before deliberations began, because when did well when did deliberations begin? Begin this morning. So how would she know that? She was sitting on the jury, and I think she's talking about from the mood of the jury or what she knew about the case. So what she perceived, as opposed to right. the discussion, because you're charged as a juror, you're charged not to discuss a case until the deliberations. Well, but. but <laughs> The evidence here is clear, and this, in my view, anyway, having watched this or followed this trial, and even some of the admissions of the defendant, the senator himself, when I say admissions, statements is perhaps a better word. But you're not hearing about this at all in the news, right? I mean, who's talking about no. this? No one's talking about I heard about a little this. clip on the radio about it on the way to the studio. Didn't see anything on the mainstream news over the weekend or today. Well, and this is where we're at with this. Now, I just wanted to mention that because that's happening. And, of course, you have someone not even elected to the U.S. Senate, Judge Roy Moore, who's under fire. And then you've got Sean Hannity, uh, who is fighting for his his uh, professional life based on spur- spurious allegations of what I don't even know. 
but I don't think there, there really needs to be any. And then, of course, you've got these, these, in my view, morons out there and these false, uh, and I can't say enough, uh, in, in die, there's nothing I could, I, uh, boy, if, the, the, the one individual that I'm, I'm thinking of, in my personal opinion, is shameless in her accusations of, and she does it, to, she does it in my, in my opinion, does it to a lot of people, you know. She calls him a Sean Vanity, for example, on her, on her little blog. She, she's accused me and others of plagiarism and, and I don't even know this woman for, for crying out loud. All right. So, you know, that's why it's so ridiculous. But these accusations, um, at least in that case, against Sean Hannity, and I believe all of them, and then the boycott, I believe, is, is part of a, an organized, orchestrated effort to take down Sean Hannity, as Peter Chalka said, and as you stated, as Peter Chalka wrote, and you uh, read from that article. So, well, one thing, Joe, if I can just say this about the... Um, uh, there's something I, I, I talked about in, in my show this morning. I'm not going to get into it. You can listen to the show this morning, but, but here's what I believe. I do believe that as piece, pieces of the Russian uh, collusion story fall into place, there's a picture that's developing, and it's disturbing, and it's a little bit, it's more than disturbing. We have, I believe this to be the case, I believe that the Hillary Clinton campaign planted um, political operatives into the uh the Trump campaign at the highest at some of the highest levels. And I believe when you look at the indictment, uh the indictment of Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, and the plea of George Papadopoulos. Look at that plea of George Papadopoulos. Look at it very closely, extremely close, and ask yourself, where did the Russian dossier come from? read between the lines here or listen between the lines okay now the Russian dossier just if I may just very quickly um, well I'll just say it this way I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go over this because I, I think people have a good understanding of what's taking place but uh, you've got Trey Gowdy who appeared on the inaugural edition of Laura Ingram's program on October 30th, what, uh, two weeks ago. And Devin Nunes appeared on, she appeared on Laura Ingram's program a couple of weeks ago. Now Devin Nunes is the chairman of the United States House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And he said that today, and ever since this dossier came out, he's been fighting to get information about who paid for this dossier. The FBI is not is not talking under Comey or even at present. They're not talking. It's hard to believe that they don't know. They most assuredly do know, but are not saying. The dossier itself was a product of of who? Of Fusion GPS. Well, Christopher Steele, right? Of, but yeah. where did Christopher? So Christopher Steele used what five sources, roughly, or a number of sources, to create this document, this dossier, thirty-five page dossier of lies, of accusations, unproven, unprovable accusations that, in my view, are lies. When you start to put the pieces together. 
what was George Papadopoulos doing here? What was he doing over here? Was he feeding information to Christopher Steele? Because here's how the money went. And you were talking about this. We were talking about this in studio before. In fact, John and Joe, and we were talking about this. And I think you spoke about this on your show today. Here's the question. Donna Brazil had said the DNC was broke. Right? Remember that? DNC Mm -hmm. broke, didn't have any money. $24 in the hole. The Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee under Clinton, under Wasserman Schultz, and the interim chairman, Donna Brazil, reportedly paid Perkins Coy, the Obama law firm, the law firm, um, that well-known law firm, D.C. law firm, $10 million, in part for opposition research. Now think about this. Follow the bouncing ball. Follow the money. So you've got the DNC paying Perkins Coy, the law firm, $10 million. Glenn Simpson, or I'm sorry, Mark Elias, the attorney partner with Perkins Coy, sat next to Glenn Simpson, the founder of Fusion GPS, who received a million, just over a million dollars from Perkins Coy and Mark Elias, Denied, by the way, denied. Well, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go there at the moment. But so, it goes like this. DNC, Hillary Clinton, $10 million given to Perkins Coy and Mark Elias. Mark Elias then hires Fusion GPS for just over a million dollars for opposition research. Fusion GPS is founded by Glenn Simpson. Glenn Simpson then gives $168,000 to Christopher Steele, the former British intelligence agent. Again, for opposition research. Hence, this dossier, 35-page dossier, is created. And that's created, there's five different sources, right? Uh, roughly. Well, at least if you read the Papadopoulos plea agreement and the indictment, you can start to put the pieces together about opposition research. And again, Papadopoulos. If I can just kind of give you a timeline of this dossier, think about this. This dossier was uh, created, the first entry was done in June of 2016. It was June 20th of 2016. It was August 27th of 2016 when Henry Reid, or Harry Reid, Senator Harry Reid sent a letter to Comey saying, A, Donald Trump is an unwitting agent of of Russia, of the Kremlin. Now, this is from Harry Reid to Comey, August 27, 2016. And he referenced Michael Morrell, uh, Morrell, the former acting CIA director, in this as well. So you've got these intelligence agencies, U.S. intelligence agencies, as well as political operatives, making accusations against a political candidate. It was September 23rd of 2016 when U.S. intelligence agents began an investigation. And, and this, this kind of involved Carter Page, a Trump advisor. Uh, now Page had extensive business ties to Russia, and uh, in fact, he was the former investment banker for Merrill Lynch in Moscow. But, and he had his own consulting firm, uh, Global Energy Capital, in New York City, just as an FYI. But this is when it was September 23rd of 2016 when, when, when the U.S. intelligence agencies began their investigation based on information contained in this dossier. And this this was an evolving dossier. The information was evolving constantly. It was October of 2016 when 
the FBI obtained a FISA warrant based on the contents of the dossier. And, in fact, the dossier, just to give you an example of how ridiculous this is, referenced Alpha Bank and Trump Tower. Well, wait a second. If you look at the dossier, which is online, and it was published by BuzzFeed, they misspelled Alpha Bank. They they spelled it A-L-P-H-A as opposed to A-L-F-A, which is the name of the bank. And even despite that, uh, such academic mistakes, you have a situation where it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, the issue there was a server connected in Trump Tower, which is really makes no difference whatsoever. But an FBI FISA warrant after two attempted warrants in October, one was given. So, again, think about this. Based on the information contained from where? Ultimately, from Hillary Clinton and the DNC. So this is the weaponization of our intelligence. And then uh, on October 30th of 2016, just uh, just weeks later, Harry Reid demands the FBI look into the explosive information. He sends this letter to Comey. Now, October 31st, of 2016, David Korn writes the article for Mother Jones. I'm not going to get into that. November 18th of 2016, McCain was informed of the existence. Now, this is when McCain comes in. Remember, he attended, he was attending a security summit in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And McCain sends a messenger on a transatlantic flight to pick up the dossier. And to tell you how ridiculous this is, Think about this. Here, here's what he tells a messenger. Ready? This is, oh my goodness. He tells him this. Hey, you go to the airport, you look for a man holding a copy of the Financial Times. He's going to have documents for you. Bring them back to me. It's McCain. Okay? That's the kind of stuff we're dealing with now. December 9th, 2016, McCain gives the dossier directly to James Comey. December 13th. Now, this is the last date of uh, the content, the evolving content of the dossier, the memos, I should say the memos from the British source in the, the, the comprised of the dossier. Then, of course, we had the election on January 8th. And then, and then it was January 10th when Obama and Trump both were given a two-page summary of the con- of the documents, uh, dossier's contents. And of course, Donald Trump says that's just a bunch of crud. Well, that same day, BuzzFeed published that document, and it's been, it's been history ever since. Okay, it's been uh, a party ever, ever since. That kind of gives you a rundown. But the weaponization aspect, uh, now, during, it was during this time as well, concurrent with this, where Donald Trump, and I'm just going to end with this, Joe, because I don't, I don't want to take up uh, the entire time. It was during the. I'm not sure if I have my notes here. It was, it was during the the uh, period when uh, it was J- J- June 9th of 2016, in, in the heart of the campaign, when a contingent of Ru- this Russian contingent that included a female Russian lawyer and ultimately eight people had a meeting at Trump Tower. This is June 9th of 2016. Remember I mentioned about Fusion GPS and Glenn Simpson? Remember I mentioned about Perkins Coy and Hillary and the DNC and how no one knew anything about anything? 
the testimony, 10 hours by Simpson behind closed doors. And he was, it's my understanding, he was uh, uh, interviewed again today, but this is this goes back a while. Didn't know anything about anything. Well, isn't it interesting where it now has come out, and this was underreported, this was reported only, I think, by Reuters and a few people in the alternative media, but no one's paying attention to this. It has now come out where Glenn Simpson from Fusion GPS met with members of that Russian contingent both before and after the meeting at Trump Tower. So what does that tell us? That tells us of collusion, of not just mere collusion, but of sabotage. Yeah, collusion is not the right word. Right, sabotage. And even espionage, especially when you have somebody like uh, Tim Kaine referencing this meeting, is saying, Donald Trump, this activity is bordering on treasonous. Really. And you've got this taking place. And, of course, Trey Gowdy and, and Devin Nunes saying, we can't get any information from the FBI or anyone else. Did you, you hear the latest, throw that the, out there. latest bombshell today? Donald Trump Jr. secretly corresponded with WikiLeaks before the election. This according to The Hill and a number of other websites out there. They're showing some communications between Donald Trump Jr. and WikiLeaks, where WikiLeaks asked Donald Trump Jr. to provide one of his father's tax returns to WikiLeaks so they could release it instead of having the New York Times come out and release possibly a doctored or uh, a story with a, a biased report in it. But this is the talk of the town, apparently, today. We are up against the break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Dr. David Berman. He's a pastor, a doctor, an author, and radio show host, and much more. Also, on Hagman Report, check out this story. It's what you were talking about a little bit from Greg Jarrett on Fox News. Did Comey obstruct justice by protecting Hillary Clinton from prosecution? It's on Hagman Report. It's also on Fox News. It is well worth a read. It's from five days ago. We'll be right back after this. Monday edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by Dr. David Berman in just a few moments. Uh, he's going to get. We're going to cover a, a whole host of, of issues from the news, uh, politics, Christianity, Islam, and a whole lot more uh, with Dr. Berman once he joins us. I don't know if you guys saw this today. We mentioned this on our show. The Washington Post has an article about Drudge, and the article talks about how Drudge links to Russian propaganda. And what was one of the examples they used as Russian propaganda? Infowars. The writer of the Washington Post piece has a problem with Drudge linking to RT, and specifically he points out the Russian propaganda arm Infowars as a sign that Drudge is in bed with the Russians and Trump. A very interesting article, and Drudge pushed back on Twitter today yesterday or today and um, basically laughed at the the allegations and talked about how he drives 37% of their off-site traffic to 
Washington Post, and he doesn't even get a thank you. Instead, he gets attacked. Pretty right. interesting and, story. But but I do believe this is the process in which we will be censored. I I think that, as a matter of fact, there are people today attempting to, to silence us through, through lawfare, as I had mentioned earlier, and through taking our content and burying it, you know, burying it so deep that you're not going to find it via search engines. You've got this all taking place. And, and I think that, that if they can do it, to, and they are doing it to Drudge, uh, accusing him of being this Russian agent or propaganda uh, arm for the Russians, they're going to do it to us. And this is one of the, this is one of the tactics. And, and this, welcome to 2017. It, welcome to 2017 going into 2018. Quick announcement here. Um, one hour ago from Fox News, Jeff Sessions directs prosecutors to evaluate certain issues involving Uranium One yep. and Hillary Clinton leaves door open for a special counsel. I'm going to post this article up on Hagman Report uh, so you can find it, but it talks about Jeff Sessions directing senior federal prosecutors to evaluate certain issues in Uranium One dealings and their, their alleged unlawful dealings related to the Clinton Foundation leaving the door open for an appointment of another special counsel. Hmm. So, we'll see. Interesting. Maybe. Well, now, before we move on, I just want to say this. Do you have a that special someone, perhaps, in your professional life that you'd like to give them a gift? You don't You don't know what to give them, for example. Um, or, or, well, let me just toss that out there. How about the gift of food. How about Omaha steaks? Man, I'll tell you something. I, and, and I, I, I can tell you this. I've sent this package to somebody who has done a lot of nice things for, for us and for, for the office. It's the, it's the family gift pack. Um, it, it's a great, it makes a great professional gift. In fact, we have ordered this for ourselves for the Hagman household, and it's fun to receive. You get this in a insulated uh, box, uh, and everything's everything's labeled, and it's it's perfect. But let me tell you about the about the family gift pack because Omaha Steaks is the best. For only forty nine ninety nine, you can get our family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar. That's seventy five percent off. Now almost almost steaks they offer unique gifts for gourmet food lovers, including over five hundred gourmet gifts and the most flavorful tender aged beef. They have seafood and poultry and pork and veal and lamb and they've got online recipes, wine pairings and more. You can't get any better than this, really. Um right now. Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings just to our listeners. Listen to everything that you'll get for less than $50. Now listen to this. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha Steaks seasoning packet, four kielbasa sausages, and you'll get four additional kielbasa sausages free. That's right. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar, and you will get 75% savings 
That's $49.99, under $50, 75% savings. You can't beat this. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter HH in the search bar, get 75% savings. It's the gift guaranteed to be a hit. Um, again, we've used it. We've sent it to, uh, sent it to one of our professional colleagues, got a call saying thank you so much. And, and uh, what a great way to show your appreciation. And what a great way to feed yourself too. Just take a step and, and, and do it. You're, you're gonna be thanking, you're gonna be thanking us later because it's, it's fabulous. And Joe and I, we, we love the, uh, filet mignon steaks and we love the, uh, the top sirloins are delicious as well. My wife, my wife cooks them up really well. You can cook them on the grill, cook them inside. It's great. So, uh, so, but remember, HH in the search bar, omahasteaks.com. Love those steaks. Yes, we do. Now, all right, with us, yes, is Dr. David Berman. We're going to bring him on, and instead of of us going through the bio, he's he's got a a huge, extensive Boy, uh, background in in radio and ministry, and uh, he's an author again. Uh, we got his one of his latest pieces. Why do my Jewish brethren vote liberal? Mister, that's a mystery. That we boy, he, he can uncrack that, right? Yeah, Doctor David Berman, welcome to the Hagman Report. Hey, so good to be with you guys. Really excited about being with you. Well, we're excited to have you, and and thanks for coming on. We really appreciate that. Um, yeah, if you can, rather than us read from a resume and and just tell our audience about yourself, because you've got you've got an impressive background. Well, I've been in ministry for many years, about 26 years as an ordained minister of the gospel. And uh, during that time, I spent a whole lot of time on radio and television discussing particularly worldview issues, problems with our society. We Every hot-button topic you can imagine, done all kinds of things like that, lots of radio, lots of television. And I uh, planted two churches, had a business started when I was 20 years old. So I have quite an extensive history, not only in ministry, but in business. I'm married to my beautiful wife for 33 years. We have five children, five grandchildren. And, um, uh, I have, uh, I have been passionate first about the Bible itself and about the gospel. It's the most important thing to me is winning people to Christ and making disciples. The absolute most important thing. But secondarily to that, I'm very concerned about culture. I'm concerned what's happening to our country, particularly in the area of worldview where young people have no idea what the Judeo-Christian ethic is. They have no idea what the constitutional worldview is. And so uh, it's very important to me to bring that. You did say, as you mentioned, uh, that article that I sent you. That article is about my Jewish brethren. Uh, I am a Christian Jew. And uh, I was, you know, I wondered why my uh, Jewish brethren, my brethren after the flesh, as it were, uh, always seemed to vote liberal. And so uh, I began to think about that based on my history, my upbringing as a Jew, and understanding the Jewish history in the world and in America. Excellent. Yeah, you. Um, I was looking over your your history and, and some of the things you've done. I see the the podcast up on the. The website here, let me get the website. Is it Church Life? Not Church Life. It's CF or CLFchurch.com, correct? Thank you. Yes, that's the church uh, I'm the senior pastor of. I planted that church 22 years ago in New Hampshire. Uh, I do what we call a parachute drop plant. Uh, we didn't have any support to speak of, very little support. Just went there and uh, planted the church. And uh, I'm a Missionary Alliance pastor. And that church has become very successful. We've won so many people to Christ, one over a thousand people to Christ, made lots of disciples and uh, trained musicians, trained uh, four pastors through that. I'm also district mentor for uh, Christian Missionary Alliance in uh, the New England district, 
uh, training pastors as well. So my my history is extensive, not only in ministry but in business as well, which I think gives me a well-rounded understanding of what's happening in our country and an ability to articulate our worldview. Excellent. Well, let's start by talking about the state of the Christian church today. We just saw uh, a week ago, eight days ago, the latest church shooting in Texas where I believe 26 were killed. And this it was a big shakeup to uh, many Christians living in this country. It was a, an awful shooting, but this isn't the first, nor will I assume it is going to be the last. Let's talk about the the uh, Christianity being under attack from outside forces today, whether it is you know, the media, um, the institutions of business and politics. We see that there is this push against Christianity today, and not only from the outside, but also from the inside, too. Uh, unfortunately, what do you see happening with the with the Christian Church as far as the perception uh, of Americans uh, anymore? Well, I can go back really early on in the '80s, and I started began to see. I was uh, saved in the early '80s. I began to see rather quickly uh, the hostility against the gospel against Christian people. And then, as I was pastoring in Connecticut at the first church I planted with another pastor. Uh, I was preaching, and I remember preaching to the people and explaining to them what is coming. I could see it. I could feel it. I'm a student of history, and I understand spiritual things. And I could see very clearly that persecution was coming. And when I would say that, they were looking at me like I was crazy. They just didn't think that was going to be the case. Because, you know, remember in the 80s, uh, you know, there wasn't any real serious hostility like there is now. There was hostility, but not like there is now in America. And clearly, um, and unfortunately, I was right about that. And we've seen a steady attack on the outside and on the inside. On the inside of the church, we've seen an attack from what's called the emergent movement, which is really just warmed over liberalism. Uh, the idea that, you know, the cardinal doctrines of scripture are not that important. It's more of a social gospel, making people feel good about themselves, watching their self-esteem and all that kind of nonsense. Then you have an outward attack from the left that does not want us to even have free speech anymore. That's why they've labeled our speech hate speech. And once you label someone's speech hate speech, well, who gets to decide that? Well, they get to decide that. Then they get to outlaw our speech. Now you have such a hostility against Christian people, against the gospel, against preachers and uh, your average Christian person, that now we have people shooting up churches. And I think the churches really need to wake up and understand that they need to defend themselves and be ready to defend themselves. I am, let me make it very clear, I am not a pacifist. I believe in self-defense. I believe in the Second Amendment. I won't go anywhere without my weapon, and uh, I will defend my people to the death if necessary. We have got to, as a church, first of all, come back to the doctrines of the gospel, the doctrines of the Bible, the classic cardinal doctrines of Scripture, and stop whining and making excuses for people getting upset at us and wanting to please the ears of those that hate Christian people. Why do we believe that somehow we're going to tickle the ears of unbelievers and get them to come in the church, besides the fact that if they come in the church and they come in to hear something that is not the true gospel, they're not coming to Jesus anyway. So you've got to preach the gospel, you've got to tell the truth, you've got to be ready for the attacks intellectually to be able to defend the faith, and also, I think it's important to be ready physically to defend your people. Uh, so, I, I, I love it. I just want to, I just want to interject this. I, I think this is so important. We had somebody on, I don't remember, uh, this is a couple of years ago now, I think. And I believe it was a pastor. Joe, you don't have to say the name. In fact, I, I don't even know who it was. I can't remember, but saying, you know, um, 
Well, if my family was being attacked, I'd have to pray whether I was, I'd have to, in the moment, pray whether I would defend my family, you know, uh, to, because that's what Christians would do. That's what a true Christian would do. And I, and I wanted to vomit. You know, I'm sorry, but what you just said, I believe, is is accurate. You know, it's our it's our God-given responsibility, is it not, to care for our 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 family? I mean, they're as well as our our in your case, your congregation. It's it's your responsibility, right? This is an attack on manhood, right? This is this has always been an attack on manhood. There's been an attack on manhood in this country like we've never seen. Uh, you got people. Telling you got uh, just today, I read a report from Occidental College where there, one of the professors is saying that you know beware of men that identify as men. I mean, are these people insane? <laughs> they're nuts. They're demonized. They're insane. And let me just make this very clear. I believe, and I and let me say this ahead of time. I don't want to discourage people who have a pacifist mindset because I think there are some people that you know they have a sincere mindset, and uh, I understand why they do. But I'm not. I don't agree with them. I have a responsibility to defend my family, my wife, my children, and my Christian brethren and my countrymen from from attacks. And I am not going to stand by and watch somebody hurt anybody that I know without fighting. I'm going to tell you right now, and some of that I think comes from my uh, my being Jewish. Uh, I remember as a kid watching pictures of the Holocaust. I remember asking myself, why didn't they fight? Why didn't they fight? Why didn't? And then as I grew up. I realized that the reason they didn't fight in the beginning was because they just was so horrific. They didn't realize what was coming. But we are students of history. We have hindsight. We know what happens when people become demonized like the Nazis were. And let me tell you right now, there are plenty of those kinds of mindsets in this country who want to destroy and kill people, particularly Christian people. And I believe Christian people ought to defend themselves, defend their brethren, and defend their countrymen. You know the um, the attacks that we see outside the church from you know the the mainstream from the left um, attacks on the speech attacks on our on our beliefs attack on, attacks on on Jesus and his teachings we are all, are told in the scriptures that that's going to happen and to expect this we're also told in the scriptures to expect an apostasy and what what you said you can uh, expect it but not accept it. Exactly, and, and what you said in the beginning here about the uh, the churches becoming you know so turned over to the world that they are changing what even is in uh, scripture in order to to placate to the world. It's very dangerous. And one thing that really is so aggravating is to see you know these Christians who take you know have this liberal mindset and who are watering down the Word of God. Do you believe that the church? is going to continue to conform to the world, uh, uh, at least a majority of it, until it is basically uh, out of existence from, uh, uh, for whatever reason, whether it's a political thing or, or uh, the people stop coming. Do you believe that they're going to basically dig their own grave and, and continue down this path? Well, I think without a doubt there's a, there's a segment of, we, you know, we say the church, and I don't even want to say the church because I don't think they're the church. I mean, I, it, we, we call them the church because churches in America who claim to be Christian, we continue to call it a church. But really, the church is the remnant of people that are actually following the scriptures. Um, and when I say, what I mean by following scriptures, not that we're perfect, but we, uh, we attest, we agree, we testify to, we hold to, we're not ashamed of that which God has said, even though sometimes we don't always live up to everything because we're human beings. The problem with the liberal church is that they're church in name only. They don't believe in, they don't 
reverence the Word of God, they don't reverence God's Word and His authority, and so they have tried to water that down with worldly thinking because they're postmodern. And this is a huge problem that has affected society. So the thought is, well, let's just become postmodern, then we can get young people or people coming to church. Well, I've got news for you. I've got tons of young people in my church. Someone said to me one time, how do you win a millennial to Jesus? And I kind of laughed. I chuckled, you know. That's a good question. And this is what I told them. I said, this is how you win a millennial to Jesus. You tell them that unless you're born again because you're an enemy of God, because you're a sinner just like me, you're going to end up in hellfire separated from Almighty God. And that's why Jesus was sent to save your soul. And the only difference between me and you is I've received Christ as my Savior. I'm no better than you. You need to come to Jesus just like anybody else of any other age. But the problem is we have churches today that don't want to do that because they're more worried about people sitting in the seats than they are about people sitting in the kingdom. That is the problem. And I will not give in. Relentless, I'll tell you. I will not give in. And you know, the interesting thing is my church is full. I'm out of room. I need a bigger building. And I haven't compromised the scriptures one bit. If you look at the mainline churches, they're compromising the scriptures and they're dying. What we do see, however, is sort of a new church that is uh, emerging, that is really using entertainment, trying to be relevant in entertainment, that sort of thing to keep people to coming to the church, but there's no substance. The substance is in Christ. And as long as the church is unwilling to preach the gospel, the church will not grow. The church only grows when the kingdom grows, and the kingdom grows only when people come to Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is, the expansion of his kingdom in people. And you have to come to Jesus for that. I'm tired. I'm sick. I'm, I want to vomit over people wanting to win people to Jesus without Jesus. doesn't work that way. There you go. Now we're now we're talking, and it, that's what you just said there. It's an interesting play on words, or not play on words, but it's an interesting phenomena that, that we're seeing uh, take place. I, I don't even know how that's possible, but yet it's in progress today. You know what it is, brother? It's the isms of Jesus that they like. Ah. You know, the isms. So it's it's sort of this philosophical position of, well, how about the, where Jesus says, love your uh, neighbor as yourself? That's a, a Jesus-ism to them. You know, a, a saying that most people sort of who are decent people who are not saved, and we know there's a lot of people who aren't saved that from a human standpoint are sort of decent people, and they hear something like, you know, love your neighbors yourself. They like that. Jesus loves you. God loves you. Love is patient. Love is kind. A lot of people agree with that from the standpoint of sort of a human um, you know, sort of viewpoint of what would be nice and what is not nice. What they miss is that we're sinners. We're separated from God by this internal sin that we're born with. And if people don't understand that, look in the mirror. I look in the mirror and I tell you right now, I don't see a man that's going to save himself. I see a man who sinned against God. I see a man who continues to struggle sometimes with attitudes or whatever that we have. And I see a man that needs Jesus Christ. And unless we understand this, people are, people are going to die with a false sense of security. They're somehow in a relationship with God when they know nothing about him or that message and have never repented. So, yeah, we have a real problem here. And if we don't make a decision as ministers, and I'll tell you where it's really a problem in the Bible colleges, where the liberals have come in and taken over every institution, if we don't make a decision to find pastors that are going to preach the word of God that don't believe they work for the people, but rather believe they work for God, we're going to continue to see the church suffer in this country and be smaller from the standpoint of numbers of church. But we will continue to see the church grow in the remnant 
because God will have his church. Okay, if you don't mind, go over that one more time, uh, what you just said there about working for the people, working for God. Yes. Give that to me one more time. Well, I've actually stood in front of my congregation and said this numerous times, and you can ask anybody in my congregation, they will attest to this numerous times. I've said to them, listen, you have to understand something. I don't work for you. You compensate me because God has commanded you to compensate me as a minister of the gospel, but I don't work for you. And as soon as I believe I work for you, you become my boss. As soon as I believe you're my boss, I'm worried about losing my job. But you see, this isn't my job. This is my life. If you don't want me, you can tell me that, and I'll move along somewhere else where they will receive me. Now, that may sound arrogant to some people. I don't mean it to be arrogant. I mean it to be biblical. I don't work for the church. I work for God. I represent God in what I say, and he's going to judge every word I say. I'm not going to be afraid of the people's faces, and I've told my people that. If you don't want me, just let me know, and I will move on. I don't say that in an arrogant manner. I say that honestly because the people of God need to understand that ministers are not hirelings that work for them. We are shepherds, and the people follow the shepherds. The shepherds do not follow the people. If you have a shepherd with a bunch of sheep, and he follows the sheep, the sheep are going to have a problem. The sheep have to hear the voice of their shepherd, and they have to follow their shepherd. And so as a leader in the kingdom of God, my job is to preach the gospel. My job is not to tickle their ears. My job is to tell them the truth of the word of God. My job is also to bring church discipline if necessary. My job is to do those things, and I will do them. Sometimes people hate me for that, but Jesus said, the servant is not greater than his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I understand that. I don't like that, but it's the reality, and I'm not willing to give up my position that God has placed me in for the purpose of tickling people's ears. Uh, excuse me. I'm not willing to keep my position that God has placed me in for the purpose of tickling people's ears. If they don't want me, they can just say so. And I, I mean that sincerely. I, I'm coming to your your, your church this week. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch. I should think you'd enjoy it. Uh, I, I know I would. Clfchurch.com is the website. Do you do any live streaming? I'm, I'm going there. Of the church services? We do, uh, we, we have our sermon on, online all the time. We also, usually on Periscope, somebody's taping that, putting it on Periscope. But, okay. uh, yeah, during, during all it's happening. And you can always get, uh, our sermons online. We have an app as well, Clf Church, uh, app as well to listen to our uh, sermons if you'd like. And of course, I'm available to speak and, and do media as well as speak and preach at churches and that sort of thing as well. And for those who don't know where you're at, where, where are you physically located? Your church? Uh, the church is in Swansea, New Hampshire, right out of a, a small city called Keene, New Hampshire, in the Been south there. corner. Oh, you have you. Oh, Wonderful. Yeah. Yep. And it is a uber liberal area, which is kind of interesting. I'm actually in the lowest church, uh, area of the lowest church state in the country. And we go back and forth with Vermont and Washington. We kind of fight between Vermont, Washington, and <laughs> New Hampshire. And I mean, the Lord sent me here to plant this church 22 years ago. I remember when I walked up here and I, I sat down and started talking to some people. And someone said to me, well, you need to speak to this particular individual. And I said, okay. So I called him. I said, hey, let's have some lunch. I told him, hey, I'm going to be planting a church here. And this is what the man said to me. He said, Pastor Dave, I appreciate what you want to do, but pack your bags and go back where you came from because you're never going to be able to establish a church like you're talking about here. It's not going to happen. I remember when <laughs> I made that. <laughs> and uh, in my good, stubborn Jewish way, I said, if you tell me that, I ain't going nowhere. And uh, thank God, by his mercy and grace, we've been able to establish a wonderful ministry with wonderful people 
so many people come to Christ through this, and have, and many have come to Christ and moved around the country and are preaching the gospel around the country. So we're really thrilled about that. That's amazing, and I love that. I love that uh, that that challenge challenge accepted, and of course, look where you're at now. And uh, anywhere, anyone around the Keene, New Hampshire area, uh, and I use that as a point of reference. Of course, uh, look yeah. up CLF Church, uh, clfchurch.com. Of course, for more information. We're gonna, our guest is Dr. David Berman. Uh, he's going to be with us for the remainder of the program. Yeah, We've got a lot of we got a network break here, and when we come back from that i want to i want to ask dr berman about specifically about uh the shooting in in texas or the uh, the shooting that we saw but the attacks from without and then kind of get into some other areas that i i've i've got some questions i in anticipation of his appearance i i've got some questions for him uh that I think a lot of a lot of people might have. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. We're going to be right back. Network break, three minutes. Stay where you're at. Oh, <laughs> what do I? What am I saying? You know, t- Tech Eric's saying, "Hey, you, you want to give us another forty seconds here?" Because so, see, we don't do this for eleven. That's all right. I did. Well, a, know, I did a commercial earlier, and I, that, it took me like five takes. Go ahead. No, I was thirty-five here, words. Five I was takes. sitting here, and I and I heard you do that. Um, when we come back, now we're going to continue to talk with doc, uh, Dr. David Berman, not only about the Christian church, but Islam, abortion. I got a, a question about the Pope. We're going to talk about the political direction in this country, the political divide, as well as a number of other issues, so don't go anywhere, including his article, Why Do My Jewish Brethren Vote Liberal? We're going to get into that on the other side, so stay tuned. To this edition of the Hagman Reporter, guest is Dr. David Berman. His website, CLF Christian Life Faith, just clfchurch.com. Clfchurch.com. He's the author of "Wake Up and Smell the Truth." Uh, it's it's a book that's been out a while, but is even more relevant today than it's been ever. I believe it's a it's a great book. Um, get yourself a copy of that. Seriously, it's it's a great book. It, it's it relevant great, today. As it was back then. Much, yes. Thank you for that. Uh, now, T.C. Joseph, this generation series. Folks, if you haven't gotten his books, you know, Christmas is coming up. I cannot think of a better Christmas gift than this generation series by T.C. Joseph, Precipice, Pentecost, and Penance. You know, I usually don't necessarily like uh, fiction books. I like history books. But these books grabbed me, really. They, they, and, and I love to read. My wife just says, "You know, you ever going to stop reading?" reading? No, no, never. Um, you know, even even at the table. No, it's, it's, no. I, of course, I don't do that anymore. Uh, but I read all of the time. This generation series by T.C. Joseph, the best of the best in terms of fiction. And I'll tell you, if you've got a family member who's not quite on board with the way things are going today with respect to events, give them this series. Give them the first of the series. Give them the whole series. Because I guarantee you, it's going to grab them by the ankles and say, wow, hey, this stuff is happening right before our very eyes. So go to This Generation Series. Get them on Amazon or go to This Generation Series. Go to HagmanReport.com and click on the link to T.C. Joseph's series of books. Joe? All right. Our guest is Dr. David Berman. And we have uh, the rest of the show with him. So we we got a, a number of areas we're going to 
get into. Um, you wanted to ask about some of the logistics of the Christian. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you know what, uh, Dr. Berman, we saw the, we, we saw the most horrific attack in, in Texas with, uh, the Devin Patrick Kelly go in there and just slaughter the small the church in the small town. Now, I know you're ready for it. Uh, and, not, and we pray to God, of course, it never happens to your church or another church. But had he not been stopped, I believe he was headed, just based on everything I've been reading, headed toward another church. And the media is portraying this as, as you know, this disgruntled guy angry at his mother-in-law, you know, and mental, mentally ill. Yeah. And, I, and I don't doubt any of those. But when I look at the true motive of this, I do believe the target here was the church and Christians. Yeah, I believe the mother-in-law had it was a factor, as drugs is a force multiplier. But we're seeing this attack from attack against Christians. Well, if his mother-in-law was the only issue, he would have shot his mother-in-law only. Exactly. exactly. He shot everybody else, mm-hmm. yeah. including yeah. her babies. Yeah. Okay. It's horrific. So, why is this happening? And um, I think I, you know, have an idea of why it's happening. Uh, my perspective is this: what we've done. You can also talk about the abortion issue and mention it in a same problem, and that is we've devalued human life. And what the left has done has actually devalued the life of Christians. And here's how they've done that: it's no longer a disagreement with Christians; it's Christians are evil. It's no longer that, you know, we want to debate in the public square for having uh, free speech debates about whether the Judeo-Christian family is the best way to go or traditional marriage is the best way to go and those who believe in gay marriage and all that kind of insanity. They don't want to debate you on the merits of that. What they want to do is tell you you're evil and you're hateful and you are the enemy and you're devalued as a human being. And once you do that, you can't talk anymore to someone History teaches us there's only one thing that's going to happen after you can't talk, and that's violence. That's why our founding fathers put in the Constitution the idea of free speech. Free speech means that if you don't like me and you say so, I protect your right to say that. I protect your right to say that you don't like Christians. I protect your right to say that Christianity is wrong. I protect your right to say that because if you don't have the right to say that, I don't have my rights. But the left does not believe in individual rights. They believe in the collective and they're going to rule from on high and centralize power, dehumanize anybody who disagrees with them. It's what they've done to babies, and it's what they've done to Christians as well. They murder babies because they're dehumanized, not quite human. And Christians now are not quite not quite as intellectually developed as these elitist atheists and secularists. And so if you start, then you take that, and you combine that with a madman listening to that kind of talk, and you have a recipe for disaster. Also, the left and the secular people don't realize that there are spiritual forces at work and that this man was not only mentally ill, he was demonized, full of the devil. And because of that, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he came to kill and steal and destroy the people in that church and ruined everything that church has built. And that's why he was motivated by his own mental problems and sinful nature and the forces of hell. Hmm. We see Very this, well said, too. We see this uh, rise of this, you know, what, what they say that uh, we're intolerant because of our beliefs. And if you remember, what, maybe about 10 years ago, we saw what the, this popular phrase that they like to use, um, that, you know, don't push your, your faith down our throats. <laughs> and, uh, what do you do? 
now, you know, we are not even allowed to, to talk about it, as you just pointed uh-huh. out, and the hostility against, uh, Christianity is, is at a fever, at a fever pitch. And what many people, um, here in America, especially in the American churches, don't understand is what we saw last Sunday is something that happens all across the world, especially in the Middle East. I remember just one example. Last Christmas, a church in Egypt full of Coptic Christians was, was, uh, blown up and assaulted with machine guns and hundreds of people were, were murdered yep. things like this happen all across the world unfortunately now you know we are seeing some of it come to America there was a church shooting about four weeks ago that went completely underreported. I think it was an African American man came into a, sh- a church shot a few people and said it was in revenge to the Dylan Roof shooting do you, Pastor do you believe we're going to get to a point where we are, as Christians, if we are going to talk about the Bible, about Jesus, are going to have to do so underground. Do you think it's going to get to the point where we really are um, not only persecuted, but the, the word of God will become illegal in this country? Well, my personal opinion is that we're Americans, and we're much different than most other people. I'm not saying we're greater than anybody. I'm just saying our tradition is different. And I just don't think your blood, your red-blooded American Christian man is going to stand by and have anybody take our guns away and outlaw our ability to speak the truth of the Word of God. We'll go to war first. Mm-hmm. I know why. Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not, and I'm telling you this, I'm not saying this in some braggadocious way or trying to be, you know, um, controversial. I'm just telling you that I watched as a young child, I watched the, the videos and the pictures of my people being burned and killed and, and shot and put in put in in um, ditches in Germany, and I always said to myself, "I'll never go that way." And I have a look of anger in my face right now because let me just tell you, that angers me, and I will not stand by and have anybody violate the most basic rights of me and my people. It's not going to happen, not while I'm alive, and I mean that. That's not that's not hyperbole. I mean it. And I believe there's a lot of Christians in this country that at some point you push them, you push them, you push them. At some point they're going to say, that's enough. And I do believe, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but I do think we're going to come to some sort of a civil war at some point if something doesn't change because we have such a breakdown in the communication between the two sides. And when you can't have a conversation, as I said earlier, it always turns to violence. That's why our founding fathers wanted it to be free speech. We want us to be able to talk to each other, even yell at each other, even insult each other but not fight physically. But that's going to happen when you have a situation where uh, you're not allowed to speak anymore and the two sides cannot have any conversation. When that happens, that leads, history teaches me, that leads to some sort of a civil war, whether it's a, uh, a nationwide one or not, I don't know. It might be a pocketed one in certain areas, but I'm telling you, uh, that's coming. I, I, I believe that, yep. I will yep. tell you this, the left is absolutely relentless. Oh yeah. They never ever be satisfied with how much freedom they take from you until they have a completely total, a complete and total Stalinist regime. They will not be satisfied. They're never satisfied with government control. They're never satisfied with controlling everything you can say and do, controlling your property, wanting your money, wanting to tell you how to raise your children, all that stuff. They're never satisfied. Conservative people tend to be like, just leave me alone and let me live my life. And that's why it takes longer, I think, for conservatives to finally say we've had enough. But when they do, believe me, uh, it's going to be serious because red-blooded Americans had enough of this nonsense. Enough. Amen to that. And I think that that most conservatives have this problem with tolerance, 
it, it's not that we are intolerant. We are too tolerant. We tolerate so much. Right. Well, let me say this. Here's another thing. Here's a newsflash for people watching who may not know this. The church is not inclusive. It's exclusive. You understand me? It's in, there's a way for you to be included in it. You come to Jesus. But it is, it is a body membership of the body of Christ. People are following Jesus Christ. That's the church. The church is not anybody who just happens to come to it. It's people who've been born again who are following Jesus. And that's the exclusiveness of it. It's only exclusive to those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. That's what the church is. It is the body of Christ. It is inclusive from the standpoint of saying, if you want to be included in it, come to Jesus, repent, ask Christ to be your Savior, receive him and his word, and then you'll be part of that. But it is this mindset that the church is not its not an entity that God has established that means something. That is the, it, it makes me crazy sometimes because I'm hearing pastors talk sometimes like, listen, man, you better get back to the Word of God. Right. What it, is going on here? And this kind of segues into this, uh, something that, that I, I just, it just blows my mind where you've got this, um, Chrislam developing or, the, or this alliance between Christians and, and this Islamic, Islamic imams that, uh, come on in and, and, you know, we all worship the same God, which we don't. And, and it, it's just th- this Islamic worldview being forced upon the American people by the left, but being worse than that, being accepted by, by Christian pastors. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I think, brother, no Christian pastor is going to accept Islam. So they can have a cross on their building. They can carry around a Bible. They can put a bumper sticker on their car and they can tell you they're Christian pastor, but they're not. Any Christian pastor knows, unless he has no training at all, and if he has no training at all, he shouldn't be a pastor. You know what you're talking about. I studied Islam for three years because I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about. The God of Islam is a false God. It's not a God at all. The God of Islam actually is a political ideology of a group of people that are run by demonic forces that teach them world domination. The difference between Christianity and, and Islam is it, there's there's a, a huge huge bridge to get to that. Believe me. Uh, the God of Christianity is completely different. Jesus Christ, God himself manifested in the flesh, left the throne, came to fleshly earth, dwelt among sinners because of his love for us, and gave his life on the cross and rose again from the dead to give us life, eternal life. And when he sees us when we die, the, the, the angel of death will pass over us because of the blood, because he first loved us. That is not the God of Islam. Not the God of Islam at all. And Islam, what what Islam has done is the same thing they do everywhere, which is they start out by saying, oh, no, you have your religion, I have mine, which is what the Quran says. But here's where the, the problem comes in. Westerners don't understand that the worldview of Islam is different than the Christian worldview, so they look at Islam with a Christian worldview, and they read a passage of scripture, they're quoted to them, you have your religion, I have mine, but what they don't understand, they don't understand the doctrine of abrogation in Islam, which says that the last thing that Muhammad said supersedes anything he said previously. And so if you read Surah chapter 9, you will find out what Muhammad's deal is. And when Islamic people come in, in small numbers, they're very cordial and very nice. Once they get to be about 10%, then they start demanding hardcore. And they're looking to, to every institution to influence the, the American institutions. And the left is helping them, which 
blows my mind. Now, let me, if I may, tell you why. Sure. Somehow, well, we Christians, for example, we believe that the man is the head of the home. The father is uh, the leader, the spiritual leader. The husband is the spiritual leader. And a woman should submit to her husband's leadership under the things of God. We're, we are very clearly believe that men ought to love and be in honor and treat their wives with respect and honor and even give their lives for the wife if necessary. The left doesn't like that. They call us male chauvinists. They call us unfair. And they say this is not right. Yet they support Islam, which, I mean, are you kidding me? The burqa from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet, to beat the woman in the, in the, in the town square, to hit your wife if she doesn't listen to you, the honor killings, the way they treat women is horrific, and yet the left accepts them. And I think the reason why they do is because somehow they think they're going to use Islam to bring about what they want in the left, which really is a globalization. But listen, man, when you can't put that wolf back in the bag, mm-hmm. I mean, they think they're not going to get bit by this wolf? Yeah. I mean, they're out of their minds. They're absolutely out of their minds. They don't understand the threat of a worldview which is completely and diametrically opposed to the Judeo-Christian ethic this nation was founded on, which brought us great freedom and prosperity. But see, is, is that not their angle, though? Don't these two groups align because they are both um, so opposed to the Judeo-Christian worldview um, Indeed, in itself? But the, Indeed, but the left somehow thinks they're going to be able to use Islam to get their way. And somehow then Islam's going to sort of back off once they get their way? Yeah. Is that what they think? I don't know. It's a good question. They're out of their minds. Uh, they're asking for some serious problems, uh, not only in the country itself, but personally, because I'm going to tell you right now, the first person the Islamic radicals are going to kill are the liberals. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill. Because yeah. they're the most opposed to what they believe in. So, uh, you know, from the standpoint of, uh, of, of anything, I mean, you, 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 why is it that they don't say anything about homosexual, uh, the, 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 the idea that Islam is totally against homosexuality and throws homosexuals off the buildings? We don't believe in doing that. We don't believe in hurting people that disagree with us. We wouldn't, I would never condone beating up somebody who's sinning in some way who I don't agree with. I would never condone such a thing. We have no interest whatsoever in physically hurting anybody. We believe in self-defense in defense of our countrymen and brethren. We don't want to hurt anybody or beat anybody up. Or being, I've met many of homosexuals. I'm very kind to everybody I meet. If we have a conversation, I tell them they need Jesus. But Islam throws homosexuals off of buildings. I mean, what is wrong with these leftist people? They're out of their minds. At that woman's march, and I hate to call it that. I call it Jezebel march. (laughs) Those are not women. Those are Jezebels. They were bowing down and to an, an imam who was doing some Islamic prayer. Are these people out of their minds? The answer is, yep. yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yeah, they are. And it is, um, as, as you just stated several times, these people are, they're crazy. They're out of their minds. And, you know, uh, we ask a number of different guests, uh, uh, political guests on the show, you know, do they believe uh, that liberalism is a mental disorder? especially how we see it going over this last 18 months. Some say no, but a majority say yes. And I hate to put it in terms like that, but there's no other way to describe the, the, uh, just the complete abandonment of reality. And, uh, you know, these people with their agenda are, are just so unhinged with the, with the Islam. And it's not only even the, only the politicians too. The church, from what we know, 
has a, a big hand in, and they make a lot of money in bringing over uh, immigrants and refugees from the Middle East. Have you heard anything about churches padding their pockets with the money that they've been bringing over from immigrants? Of course, the uh, Catholic Church is doing that. The uh, the, the Lutheran Church is doing that. Uh, Philanthropic churches are doing that. So they're getting paid big money for working in these things, and they're bringing over immigrants that don't have the same worldview that we do. So, and just to go back to what you said about is liberalism a mental disorder? There's no other way to describe it. Respectfully, I might want to give you another way to describe it. Respectfully, I think it's a strong delusion. I think that God has lifted His hand. I think people are demonized. They're demonized. They make no sense. They make no logical sense. They call us, and I've been called this many times, you're one of those stupid Christians. You don't believe in science. You don't believe in what's right and wrong from the standpoint of what we see and we can observe. You're one of these crazy faith people, all this stuff. I'm hearing that from people that can't tell the difference between a man and a woman. And they're telling me I don't know science. Mm -hmm. These people are nuts. And you could call it mental illness, I guess, but I really believe, in my personal opinion, it's a strong delusion. I think that God is lifting his hand off America. He's lifting his hand off and saying, you really want to go that way, I'm going to let you go that way. And I think there's a lot of folks that are so illogical, have no idea what they're talking about, and support things like people identifying as anything they want to identify as. I, mm-hmm. We had a girl identify as an African-American. We have some guy identifying as an alien. We have a woman identifying as a cat. I wish I was making this stuff up. This is the stuff you see in the news all the time, and we're told that we don't believe in science. We're told we're the dumb ones. We're not intellectual. And these are the people that are telling us that, the people that are supporting this stuff. There's a strong delusion over this country, and there's a strong delusion over the liberal church. Strong. And I think it's important, too, the words you're using, we can, as... Well, as Christians ourselves and as Christian conservatives, I think, I think listening to you, th- this is important because you can, uh, and, and you are teaching us how to counter the arguments that we see. Uh, after this church shooting, the horrific church shooting, uh, I was, uh, perusing various message boards, mostly on the liberal side. In fact, all of them on the liberal side or the progressive side saying, we're, uh, basically, there's, this is proof. There is no God. If there was a God, this wouldn't have happened. God would not have allowed his people to be slaughtered. Where are your prayers now? How well did your prayers work? And you get the idea. You know, and um, I guess I brought that up now is, uh, the reason I brought that up now is, uh, how would you counter that? Because you did so well with the with the other argument as, you know, with respect to... Uh, uh, the, the science versus you can't even decide you know what what gender you are but but how would you counter something like that? Well, I think the first question you have to ask yourself is you know have these ever people ever read the Bible? Have they ever read the Bible? Have they ever read what Jesus said? Have they ever saw in the Bible where the the apostles were persecuted? Do we know that the apostles were martyred? Do they have any idea what they're talking about? The answer is no. They have no idea what they're talking about. The fact of the matter is that Christian people are martyred all the time. We were told that's going to happen. We were warned, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They will persecute you. They will, they will kill you and think they're doing the work of God. That only confirms the scripture. Now, you may not like it. People may not like it. But that's the fact that, that Christian people sometimes are martyred. That's unfortunate. But that's the truth. And we see that in the, in the, the early church. We see it for the first 300 years in the Roman Empire, killing 
uh, Christians and jailing Christians. We see that Paul was on his road on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians when the Lord met him. Uh, so they don't understand at all any of the economy of God, any of the move of God, any of the of what a martyr is. They don't understand anything of of how uh, martyrdom sometimes increases the kingdom of God because in the, uh, the blood, through the blood of martyrs that happens sometimes. These people are spiritually dead. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. They'll tell you they're spiritual, but they're soulish. They don't know the difference between spiritual and their soul. They don't know a thing about the kingdom of God, about what the enemy does, about the battle that we're in, nothing about it whatsoever. So they comment authoritatively like, where was your God? We'll tell you where our God was. Our God is exactly where he's always been. He's at the throne room, and his Holy Spirit is in the heart of the believer in Jesus Christ. And as in the Old Testament, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow to your stinking rotten statue. Maybe they didn't use those words, but that's what they meant. They said, in the greatest faith, even if you kill us, we will not relent and bow to your statue because we serve the living God. And if he decides to take our lives, he decides to take our lives. He knows better than we do. That is the Christian perspective, and I don't expect the secularists to understand that at all. Yeah. Um, Doctor, we only have a few minutes left before our break. I want to ask you this uh, on this side before we, we go into the next hour about the Pope. We've seen Pope Francis uh, yeah. really champion a, a more progressive liberal agenda uh, from Rome, and he has a lot to say about the president. He has a lot to say about the doctrines of the church. What do you think of this pope? Well, the pope's a liberal. Let's face it, he's a liberation theology guy. He, he made a statement that I, I just had to laugh. I, I, I was like, wow. He said that it's ungodly for to manufacture guns, and uh, any company that makes guns is ungodly, you know, while he's protected by men who have guns. So uh, uh, that's absurd, and if he really believes that it's ungodly to have a gun, then he ought to walk around without an armed guard and, and not have a, you know, that should be the way it is. Just walk through the streets, not have any armed guards, not have anybody uh, defending uh, the Vatican. The, he's also said things about how ungodly it is not to let people come into your country who are immigrants, uh, you know, like open borders. Well, I don't see him doing that in the Vatican, uh, do you? I don't see, in fact, there's a big wall around the Vatican, and, you know, he has the power as the Pope to order that wall to come down. If he really wants to, he is the Pope. Uh, he's not taking immigrants in. He's not uh, lowering the wall. He doesn't have open borders. And you try going into the Vatican, squatting on someone's property, and see what happens to you. Yeah. So if I don't like the Pope for a lot of reasons. Um, Obviously, I don't agree with uh, Catholic doctrine in many ways, but this Pope is beyond that. He just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. He's cozying up to people that want to kill, uh, want to kill the Christians that are our enemies mm -hmm. and, and thinking that somehow you're going to convince these people to let you be. It doesn't work that way. Why don't these people who claim to be ministers of the gospel or men of God, why don't they read their scriptures? Yeah. Why don't they study history? Why don't they understand the human condition, understand what happens with the human condition? History is a great, great university. It teaches us so many things about the human condition. And I don't understand why people are the way this Pope is, other than they've just been blinded by the God of this world. No, very well said. I couldn't agree more. Do you believe that the Pope still wields influence over Catholics at all? Do you think they listen to him? They they follow what he says, and 
or do you think he's just turned it? The office has really just turned into a, a political, pseudo political, political religious uh, position of power. I would say he has great influence over certain areas of the world. Dr. Berman, sorry, uh, we're, I don't know, we're having some audio difficulties there. We lost your, your last sentence there. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Pastor Dr. David Berman. I said that because John wrote, wrote it up that way on one of the emails. I thought that was pretty funny. We're going to get into a whole host of issues, uh, from, you know, what is the solution to America's problems? Is there a political solution, a spiritual solution? We're going to talk about abortion. We're going to talk about racism. I also want to talk a little bit about the, uh, trend and increase in fake hate crimes we're seeing around the country. We're going to get into that, all that and more when we come back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Third and final hour on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Dr. David Berman is our guest, and we're going to get back to him in just a moment. Uh, I want to, while, while we're doing this, we got a few emails for Dr. Berman. Thank you so much for having Dr. Berman on the program tonight. I have been so blessed by hearing him many times with Rick Wiles on True News. That is from Peter, and we got another email uh, thanking us for having you on. They enjoy listening to you, and they enjoy the subject matter uh, in which we're talking about. So thank you, listeners, for those emails. Before we, before we get back to, to Mr. Berman, I want to bring you a quick word from Greenovative. Greenovative is getting ready for their, their Black Friday Cyber Monday sales. Uh, once again, Greenovative is offering our holiday season super sales to the loyal Hagman audience. Last year, lots of people wanted to buy a unit for themselves and one or two more for friends and loved ones. Now is a great time to start buying uh, the the gifts for the special Christmas sale. And these are the deals that are ongoing at Greenovative. They're offering Hagman and Hagman listeners a 17% discount on the entire store using promo code Hagman. They still have the 20% off of the mission packs. And the mission packs have been very popular. You can get one for yourself or family or your favorite missionary. And you can go to greenovative.com and order one today. Greenovative also wants to thank the loyal Hagman Report audience for their support, and they hope to keep providing useful Greenovative products. Greenovative.com is the website. Alan Riggs is who to contact there. And if you have any questions, you can email or call him. The number is right on the website. Again, 17% off, store-wide discount, entering promo code Hagman. Portable power anytime, anywhere. That's Greenovative.com. You know, supporting the sponsor supports us. Uh, simply put, you've seen what's happening with Sean Hannity, and of course the blowback there, the the false blowback, the uh, orchestrated blowback. So, yeah, support our sponsors and support us, and uh, it, it takes. I'll tell you what, be, because of what we, be, because of guest uh, truth tellers, for example, truth tellers like Dr. Berman and uh, others who come on our program. Believe me, you don't think our sponsors hear about the, about stuff that we talk about for, from the the progressive mindset loony loony tunes? Of course they do. So um, you know that's just all part of the process. Joe, I'm going to kick it back to you. Again, our our guest is Dr. David Berman. Check out uh, his book, 
that is up on the screen. Eric, you're going to cue you that. It's yeah, called Wake it Up and Smell the Truth. Uh, just reading in the, in the description about this, I really do want to get it. And I said it earlier, it's probably as, as much more relevant today than it was back then with all the things that we're seeing happen in our society. Wake Up and Smell the Truth. You can get it there on Amazon. Um, during the break, we were talking about what to, to start out with in this segment. And you wanted to talk about the importance of our world view. Yes. Your worldview is extremely important. So we're a nation founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic. But it's an interesting thing. <clears throat> the Revolutionary War was is called the shot that was heard around the world. And the reason for that is because it challenged a main understanding of authority that had been <clears throat> amongst the kings in Europe for you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Actually, over a thousand years. Uh, the idea that the king has a divine right, referred to as the divine right of kings. So the divine right of kings said that the king gives you your rights, he takes your rights away. Or the king decides because he's the sovereign anointed by God to take your rights and give them to you. Yeah. So our father said, I'm sorry, that's not the way it is. If you look at the Bible, you find out that there's certain rights that are inalienable given by God Almighty. And any leader who violates those rights is violating a divine law and will suffer from the consequences from Almighty God because you broke his divine law. So throughout our history up until recent times, we've had an understanding that there is a thesis-antithesis thinking, a right and wrong, a divine lawgiver who's not a king, but who is the king named Jesus. That's why the cry of the revolution was, no king but Jesus. They would cry that out, no king but Jesus, because ultimately, as our, uh, I believe it was uh, Benjamin Franklin, who said, if we don't govern ourselves by the Ten Commandments, we'll have more need of masters to, to govern us. So the sense was, instead of being under a king who's a human being, we have to be under the king almighty who is governing us by his Holy Spirit. And we have an understanding of the Ten Commandments and who he is and the divine right of God, not the divine right of a man king. This moved to a postmodern relativist worldview. The old view is thesis antithesis, right and wrong. There is a God who is the moral standard giver, and anybody who violates that law and violates the rights, <coughs> excuse me, of others, is breaking that law. Now, of a postmodernist relativistic worldview, which says there is no divine law giver. Truth is determined by what you think and what you want. That's why someone can say they identify as something else than what they are. They identify as a woman when they're a man, and they say, you have to accept that because that's my truth. That's not only illogical and stupid, it's insane. But when you have a country go from a set of principles of right and wrong to a set of whatever you think is right is right, it's pretty simple to rationalize in your mind that you can kill a baby if you want it, but it would be murder. Excuse me, kill a baby if you don't want it, but it would be murder if you want it. If you want the baby, it's murder. Someone shoots you and kills your baby inside of you. That's murder if you want the baby. But if you want to go down the road to get some guy who has a white coat on and a thing on his head and a little thing that says, I'm a doctor, to rip the child out of you and torture and murder that child, it's okay because it's not really a child because relativistically, you don't believe it is. So what's happened in our country is, going from a Judeo-Christian ethic and an ethic of thesis, antithesis, right and wrong, 
you've gone from that to an idea of I decide what's right and wrong based on my truth, which really, if you want to know the definition of that, what is the definition of me saying I decide what is right and wrong, what is morally acceptable and morally not acceptable. Nobody else does. What I'm really saying is I'm God. And once we say I'm God, we lose the understanding of what is right and wrong, and we can justify any type of behavior. That's why if you go back to Nazi Germany, you go to Stalinist Russia, you go to uh, Pol Pot's uh, Cambodia, I think, yeah, Cambodia, they thought they were doing the right thing for them because they have a moral relevancy where they think, hey, the communism is better and we'll kill these people. And no matter how much this stuff happens, people don't seem to understand there's a reason why these things are happening. And that is a removal of God as the central moral figure and the word of God as the central law of right and wrong and the liberty that's found in the scripture that we have to grant other people. That's all gone now. We have a relativistic worldview and there is no right and wrong except with this little caveat. Whatever the liberal orthodoxy of the day is, that becomes the thesis antithesis thinking. You have to follow what they tell you in those liberal orthodoxy things. You better accept it or else. Because the truth of the matter is, and the dirty little secret is, they don't really, really believe in the thesis, in the relativistic thinking when it comes to what they want. They want to impose their religion on us. You better believe it. And their religion is a secular humanism and a worship of the intellect of man over God. Over God. Very well said, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is interesting, you know, when you're, you're talking about why the, the founders set up a system of government the way that they did with the freedom of speech, with the, the laws granted by God, not by any authority of men. And, and there's a lot of places we can take this. Even to if you look at the history of man-made governments, God established Adam and Eve on this earth, then they fell through sin. And after that, you see the authority of, of God really, uh, be taken away and a man, a man-made system of governance, uh, put in its place. Now, thousands of year, years later, through all the different governments, both in the Bible and even just the, you know, from the last hundred years, we see yep. what we have with, with the, uh, this republic that we live in. And even right. though God, um, you know, wasn't you know, uh, how do I say this? God was not, God did not implement the system of government, uh, overtly. It was done by men. And you can argue it was done, uh, by a, through a system of God by men. Um, there's two arguments for that. You know, people say that, um, that God ordained these, these rights. And then others say, um, especially on the left, that God has nothing to do with it. It's a system, uh, instituted right. by men. Either way, it's not a perfect system, but it's the, the best system that the world, I believe that the world has seen. Um, you know, since the, the fall of man and sin, because it gives you that freedom to be able to do what you want, at least then believe what you want, say what you want. And as you said, that freedom of speech is so important because it allows for the communication and the dialogue between the two sides. Where, if these people have their way, if the, uh, the devil's agenda and the people that the devil uses to implement this, the agenda, what we're seeing in our country today, if they have their way, what kind of system of government would we see? Would it be a communist system? Would it be a socialist system? Or would it be what the Bible talks about in the end times, a, a new world order, total control, beast type system? 
Well, I think they want global socialism controlled by the global elite. I think that's the goal. The global elite do not want America to be what America has been. That's why they hate Trump so much. Whether you like Trump or not, you know, I'm not here to debate that. But I'll say one thing about Trump is he said that he needs to put America first, and that is against the globalist agenda. The globalists want to bring down America because America is the last bastion of freedom. It's the last place where people have weapons to defend themselves. It's the last bastion of place where there was free speech, where people are willing to, to say what they want to say. It's the last place on earth, really, uh, that holds back the globalists from having their way. Uh, Europe is lost. Europe is lost. It's not going to, it's not coming back. It's lost. Um, so you know, America's the place. So I believe they want global socialism um, and with hard tyranny. I mean, there's no question in my mind. They don't want a soft tyranny. They want hard tyranny. Mm-hmm. They're going to use our government to, sub- to make you submit whether you like it or not. Barack Obama used the power of the IRS against our people. He used the power of the of uh, national security uh, against our people. He had a, a wiretapping going on uh, of a presidential uh, candidate, uh, a, a man who was elected, excuse me, to office, tapping him. Uh, that's true. That happened. There's no question about the tapping people in, who, who was working on his administration. I mean, this country has been run for the last eight years by a total... Uh, anti-American person, and people say, "Oh, you don't like him because he's black." That's it's ridiculous. That's such an, mm-hmm. a, a, an intellectually dishonest answer. I don't care what color the skin the man is. I don't care. Literally, don't care. I care about what he stands for and what he stood for is uh, diametrically opposed to the founding principles of the nation, the principles of liberty, the principles of self-governance, the separation of powers, the idea of having small centralized power and have the power spread out through the states. Uh, because our founders knew that if you have centralized power, you have such corruption, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, you can never get rid of it, and that's what we're in right now with the deep state. So everything that we, our founding fathers warned us of uh, is happening because they told us that this system of governance will only work for a moral people. People have a sense of what is right and wrong, take personal responsibility. Now we don't have that. We want to have people want to live off the government, want the government to do everything for them. Expect the government to fix everything, listen to everything the government says, and believe that they that somebody else's money belongs to them. Uh, the violation of the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet, the violation of thou shalt not steal, and on and on. Uh, the works of the flesh, which are mentioned in Galatians, the envy. All those things are prevalent in our society to a great degree. Always been prevalent to some extent because we're all human and sinners, but to a great degree now because we've embraced these things instead of the natural right of you having what belongs to you being yours, we think it's a natural right for us to have what belongs to you. We've completely turned this country upside down, and we're wondering why everything's messed up, and everybody's on mind-altering drugs, and everybody's trying going to see psychiatrists, and, and families are destroyed, and people are killing themselves, and we just don't, we go, well, let's continue doing the same thing we're doing. I mean, that is the definition of insanity. Absolutely it is. And, and let's take this to uh, another topic. You don't believe there are any political solutions to the problems that we have here in America? Nope. You I don't. Do you think, and you said this earlier, that the divide in your mind is too far? Because I do uh, agree on, on the political spectrum. The two opposing sides are so far apart that there is ne- there's no middle ground, nor will there be. I'll second that. Yeah, I... I don't believe there's a political solution because there's a, there's a moral problem and a spiritual problem that's so bad you can't fix it with politics. You can't fix the deep state problem, the, the, you know, the 50 layers of corruption, at least in Washington, the, the, the I mean, the, 
and what we've experienced over the, even the last year, watching how the media is so corrupt, the fake news, everything is so corrupt. There's no political solution to this. We can't have a somebody get elected who's going to. I don't care whether you like Trump or not. He's not going to completely clean out the deep state. It's not going to happen, my friends. There's too much corruption. One man can't do that. And even if he did, the real problem, and some people are going to get angry at this. You can get mad at Barack Obama if you want to. You can get angry at Trump if you want to. You can get mad at Menendez if you want to. You can get at all the politicians if you want to. And I don't like them either, the ones that are doing the bad thing. I don't like them. But I'm going to tell you the real problem is America needs to look in the mirror because the people are the problem. We've turned away from God as a nation. The people have turned away from God. The people don't go to church. They don't serve God. They don't read their Bibles. They don't believe. They don't have faith. They don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't do that as a nation, you're turning yourself over to secular powers. When you turn yourself over to secular powers, you're going to get secular results. When you get secular results, you get what we see. So if you want a, the nation of America to come back, you can't just elect some guy you think is going to be a hero running in there with the Christian sword is going to fix everything. We need a revival of the Christian church, which leads to a great awakening of the populace in general as the Christian church is empowered with the power of God as we are tuned into things of God, seeking God, winning the lost. Nothing transforms a nation like people coming to Jesus Christ. That's the only answer for this country. Short of that, I believe we'll come to a civil war because the two sides just cannot talk anymore. And one side is really looking to take the rights away from the other. And that's the left that's looking to do that. And at some point, there's going to be a war. The only way to save this country is a great revival in the church, which spills out into a great awakening again into the into the country, which changes the thinking and worldview back to the Judeo-Christian ethic, and where we embrace our founding fathers' principles, where they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that we see they're self-evident, we see them the people are blind today they don't even see the self-evident things that this nation was founded on boy that's 100% accurate and you know pretty much what you're talking about too um, everything you've said so far I I suspect and, and you've, you've written about in your book Ten years prior, or a, de- a decade and a couple of years prior. So, uh, am I correct to say that? Because it, it, it sounds that way. I mean, you're you're looking at the same problems, just ten years worse. Yes, I've been I've been teaching on these things, teaching on the worldview, and explaining how to articulate our view, which is a big problem, I think, in the church, where people don't know how to articulate the viewpoint. I'll debate anybody on this. Anybody, I don't care who you are, I'd be happy to debate you. Uh, to articulate the worldview that we have, because if we don't articulate it properly, we can't be, get people to understand why it makes sense what we're saying. I've had lots of conversations with many liberals. Look, I know a lot of liberal people. Okay, I do a lot of. I don't just do Christian radio. I've done all kinds of secular radio, lots of it. And I've had conversations with liberal people who are not, you know, uh, unwilling to have a conversation, and have convinced them to at least consider. My worldview, and I've had good conversations. But if you can't articulate why we believe what we believe, uh, then you're not going to do very well in the marketplace of ideas. So one of my passions is to articulate our viewpoint as much as possible. I try to get out as much as possible, as much speaking as I can, as much news media as I can to articulate that. And I really want to train Christian people as to how to articulate 
our worldview. I mean, that's so important. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, but that's what's lacking today, I think. And, you know, with the explosion of the alternative media, what is lacking is the what I call the God component or or the spiritual aspect of of the message out there because we could talk all day long about the the, exactly. the ge- geopolitics, but what is missing is that exactly what you're referencing is that I mean, listen, spiritual. If you're if you're a conservative, pro gun, pro constitution person, and you don't know Jesus, you're still going to end up in hell. Yeah, Good people point. may not like what you said. My job is not to tickle your ears. If you don't know Jesus, in fact, right now, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to accept Christ who died on the cross and paid the price for your sin. You cannot save yourself, no matter how conservative you are, no matter how much you raise the American flag, which I love, by the way. You need Jesus. I just wanted to say that, if I could. It's just a, a side well, thing. Yes, yes. You listen, maybe somebody listening, and you turned in because God ordained it. You turned in right now to hear this preacher tell you you need Jesus Christ. That's what you need. You need Jesus Christ. We've yeah, got to be a Amen to that. And some pointers, and, and please feel free. Um, because what we do lack oftentimes, and I believe this, this to be the case in, in the, uh, again, in the alternative media as well as the conservative media, we lack that spiritual worldview. Some pointers. Uh, how do you, how do you even approach that topic when that topic is not on the table? Because I think what you have to do is, is make the argument of why. Ah, okay. In other words, so a Christian, a person gets up and they say, "Fool, I think taxes should be low." Why? Well, because it's good for the economy. Well, that is true, but that's not why. Why is because God said that your what you earn belongs to you. I don't have a right to steal from you because I want to pay for something that I want or to give to somebody else. The government is extorting money from you, keeping most of it for itself and then putting out some to the constituency to try to keep them beholden to the government. Tell them why God said not to do that. Read to them in the scriptures in the Old Testament when they were claiming that they wanted a king. Remember they were begging for a king? Lord, give us a king like the other nations. Give us a king like the other nations. And God told them exactly what would happen. They're going to take your horses. They're going to take your best manservants, maidservants. They're going to take what belongs to you. They're going to have tyranny over your life. God warned them, and they still cried for a king. We can make the argument, not just from a spiritual standpoint, but from a very logical standpoint, because contrary to what the seculars think, the Bible is very logical. It's not just spiritual from the standpoint of some things that are supernatural that we can't understand fully because of our human condition, but there's all kinds of very logical teachings in the Scripture that explain to you why we hold the view that we do. Also, the empirical data is always on our side. Mm. It's always on our side. It's never on the secularist side. It's never on the left side. It's never on the liberal side. It's always on our side. I've done the studies on the empirical data. And clearly, the family's been destroyed since liberalism took over. People have been more mental health issues since liberalism taken over. Less fathers in the home. More fatherless problems since liberalism took over. Education's gone down the toilet since liberalism took over. Want me to keep going? (laughs) No, you don't have to. I mean, it's crazy. The perversions. The The empirical data is on our side. It's not on their side. And we allow them to argue like they're right because a lot of our people don't know how to articulate our worldview. And that's a, and that's a problem. That's right. It is a problem. And the second problem, I think, in the church is there's an anti-intellectualism sometimes in the church where they think, well, it's all the spirit and it's floating around out there. And if you use your mind 
to intellectually articulate that somehow you're not being spiritual. That's stupid. Thank you. It's so annoying to me. God gave us a brain to renew our mind with the teaching of the Word of God so we can articulate the truth of the Word of God. Nobody should be able to articulate better than we should because we have the Holy Ghost in us, the power of God in us, the truth of the Word of God in us. We should be able above anybody to articulate our worldview. And this anti-intellectualism that sometimes happens in the church is a huge mistake. And one other thing, there's a huge false sense of security that was in the church for a long time. You know, you go to church in America, everybody went to church, you leave church, you go get your church lunch, you hang out with your church friends, you have your your King James Bible, you got your bumper sticker, you got your little necklace that says Jesus, and you're just going about your daily thing and serving the Lord and being happy. <laughs> and when that changed, and it really started changing in the 70s, late 60s, yep. when that changed, which was sown early on in the, you know, early on from Marxism in the early 1900s, by the way. But that came to fruition, that whole thing came out in the 60s, and now we're living in the, uh, what I think is the, the, consequences of that worldview. We have a situation now where logic is thrown out the window. And if we are not able to articulate the proper things intellectually, and if our people in church don't understand that things are not the way they were, you can't just play church anymore. This is the real deal. This is America, which is not what it used to be. We are now being attacked physically spiritually, our characters attacked and on and on, lied about and on and on for people better wake up in the church and I believe there's a time of a separation of the wheat and the tear in this country because there's a whole lot of people that are not going to think it's worth it to be persecuted for the kingdom of God Amen, and, and I, I think you're absolutely right our guest is Dr. David Berman his website CLF church.com you can get it off a program description of course as we approach the bottom of the hour he's going to be with us for one final segment it's it's amazing to hear all of this you know we talk folks we talk about the news we talk about the events current events we talk about the geopolitics and we we present uh guests we present issues but what we're listening to tonight is in my view anyway this this uh Thanks for that, by the way. Uh, I don't know whether whether people caught that. That was uh, that was John, our producer, making a cameo appearance on on the on the show. Um, anyway, uh, but 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 it's it's interesting to to hear from a guest our guest tonight to talk uh, talking about this very issue, the worldview, the uh, everything from the Christian persecution, the state of the church, the state, and, and the state we, of our political, yeah, and uh, battle. The, the other side too. I want to ask about. Um, I, I want to ask about fragging Christians, Christians fragging other Christians. Friend, I mean, yeah. not so friendly fire within the church. It's amazing. Some of the most vile and vicious emails that I've received come from Christians saying, you know what? Uh, yeah, the church cannibalizing its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I won't even get into the, the, the emails. From denominational fights to personal disagreements. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that they... A lot of the people who who issue these attacks turn around and use scripture to try to justify their point of view, cherry picking scriptures 
for the most part, yeah, we, while, yeah. while you know, it, it was breaking amazing. other Christian quote unquote laws in the process yeah, of well, doing one, what one of the doing. most. Uh, hey, you know, I'm going to uh, I, Doug. You're going to hell. You're a bad Christian. You, you know, you, you're you're this. You're that. Meanwhile, uh, this individual posts pictures, blasphemous pictures, on his website. Yeah. What the heck is that all about? Dr. David Berman is our guest. He'll be with us for the last half hour of the show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. We're so honored to have with us Dr. David Berman. You know what? Here's what you need to do. You need to follow him on Twitter. That's what you need to do. At David M. Berman. I'm sorry, Dr. David M. Berman. See, I could screw up the simplest thing. I don't know. I, I shouldn't even be here as a talk show host. And, of course, now I'll get emails saying to, to agreeing with me. But there it is up on the screen. If you're watching, there is his Twitter feed. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, get the word out. And, by the way, ready-made resources. You know, Christmas is coming, obviously. Or perhaps you just want to be prepared. Well, you heard a lot of information today. A lot of, a lot of things going sideways. And obviously you want to be prepared. Well, the one-stop shop for all things preparedness is ready-made resources. Bob Griswold, our good friend there, has got everything. And let me tell you everything. Uh, I'm, uh, and he's talked about his communications equipment, his night vision equipment, two items, of course, that uh, if you really want to be prepared, if you want to have that force multiplier in your group, that night vision equipment is indispensable. It You could see a gnat, you know, um, at, at a thousand yards. Uh, well, no, maybe not. But it's, um, it, it's not the cheap knockoffs. This is the real thing. So prepare yourself with night vision and thermal imaging equipment at ready-made resources, also their communication equipment. You know, uh, hey, what happens if the grid goes down or the power goes down or communications goes down? And your cell phone, you can't get any dial tone. You're going to be watching TV in the dark then, right? No. Uh, so, look, they've got uh, ready-made resources. It's got just a wonderful array of uh, communications equipment, ham radios and such. So you'd want to check them out as well. Big proponents of that. Ready-made resources.com Contact Bob Griswold, 800-627-3809. That's 800-627-3809, or simply go to readymaderesources.com and make sure you tell them that Doug and Joe sent you, or else we don't get the credit. And we don't get the credit, then he says, well, why do I even bother with you guys? Nah, you know what I'm talking about. But seriously, you can spend all day at the website. Joe. All right, Dr. David Berman is our guest. And again, the Twitter at Dr. David M. Berman. Follow him there. Right before the break, we were talking about the cannibalization of, of church members towards other church members, whether it's, uh, and we were using us as, as an example of some of the emails and the, the accusations that are, are thrown against us. And, and, uh, dad, as you said, you know, a, a person will, create a picture, uh, a blasphemous picture at the same time accuse us of being anti-Christian fear in porn. some way. You fear porn mongers, you're, you're profiting off of fear, you're profiting off the word of God how dare you I don't I don't see us profiting much but uh, okay um, and, and then and then there are, Dr. Berman, there are people I don't, I don't understand this that they act as the police 
as the prosecutors, the, the attorney generals of Christians. Uh, what what's up with that? I mean, well, what, you, know, you, you call it, well, first you, you're saying they're Christians, and uh, we don't know that they're Christians. Uh, there are, you know, the internet. The internet is, uh, I think, a wonderful thing in many ways, and in many things, it's a horrible thing. And one of the bad things about the internet is you have your armchair, you know, spiritual quarterbacks that are, uh, you know, their internet, they're in their mother's uh, basement in their underwear, you know, uh, 35 years old, going nowhere in their life, and they can pick on everybody else, uh, done nothing, uh, do nothing for the kingdom, and yet they can criticize everybody else that's doing something. And it's always been the case that those that do for the kingdom of God are always criticized by those that don't. So I think there's reasonable criticisms that we can give, and if we have heresy being taught, we have to speak out on those things. But, you know, you take uh, people that are out there and are really just ready to speak out. Guys like you and me, you guys and me, we're the type of people that we know we come out and people are going to say all kinds of nasty things about us. They're going to lie about us. They're going to, they're going to put things in here that are not true about us. They're, they're going to besmirch our character. They're going to question our motivation. I mean, it's just the way it is. But the truth of the matter is, there's nothing new about it because they did the same thing to the apostles. They did the same thing to the early church, and they've been doing it ever since the ever since the men and people of God have been speaking the things of God. So, so know, wait a second. When you say it, that makes me feel better. By the way, I just want to throw that in there. Yeah. When, I, when I hear you saying that, okay, I feel better now. But but yeah, <laughs> but you're right. Someone who says to you that they that they they don't like what you're doing, you're profiting from this and that. Well, first of all, do they know you? Have they sat down and had a conversation with you? No, they, I don't think so. No. What have they, and what are they picking out that that you're doing that is that is heretical? Nothing. Mm. Uh, so you know, I don't really care. What and I know this is you know, people get really mad at me for talking like this. I, I'm sorry, but you know, if someone is uh, a chucklehead, uh, I don't care what they think, frankly, because if I'm going to care about what everybody thinks, I never do the things I do and say the things I say speak at the places I speak, go on the media, secular media and such. I know I'm going to get hammered by these people. But, you know, we're called, as men of God, to be effective for the kingdom of God, to expand the kingdom of God. I'm not saying I like when people do that. It's just the reality. And if you're going to get in, if you're called of God and you're going to accept the call, you better realize that that's just the way it is, particularly in the day in which we're living. And it's not like 50 years ago where the pastor walked down the road and everybody, everybody was like, good morning, pastor. Hello, pastor. I hope you had a good weekend, Pastor. I'll see you in church, Pastor. It's not like that anymore, particularly in the area in which I live. Boy, People that's true. They hate pastors. They can't stand ministers of the gospel. They they expect you to say things. They'll come to you. <clears throat> excuse me. They'll come to you and they'll ask you what you think about something. You'll give them the biblical answer, the biblical answer, and then they'll say, how could you say such a thing? <laughs> how could you believe such a thing? What did you expect when you came to me? You came to me to hear the word of God. You're going to hear the word of God. That's what you're going to hear. If you don't like it, that's unfortunate, but that's what it is. That's my call. That's my position before God, and I'm going to continue to do it. Wow. And you need to do the same thing, brother. You need to do the same thing, brother. And don't worry about what the critics say unless they're talking to you with respect and asking you the real question that you can contemplate and ask yourself whether you're right or wrong. But you know, the attack True. people are just idiots. Well, well, I, and that concerns me because what I've seen, I've, I've seen a lot of people hurt by this. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about me at all. I'm talking about people who are uh, really, I don't, I don't know, young Christians or young in their walk, and and yeah. they've got good intentions, and somebody comes along and just 
destroys yeah. them. And I'm thinking, man, you know, and, and supposedly a Christian destroying another Christian. And I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, no wonder we're losing the battle at times. Um, yeah, we're, totally, we're totally disunified. Yeah. We, we, we have Christian people that don't have guts, and the ones that do have guts are always the ones that are criticized. Uh, hardcore. And again, I want to make myself clear. I'm not always right. I'm a human being. If someone sure. asks me, if someone gives me a respectful rebuttal to something I said, I will contemplate that, and I'd be happy to admit I'm wrong. If I contemplate that, go to the scriptures and find that I was wrong. I'm, I have no problem with that. I think what you're talking about are the nasty people that they have a Christian label, but they're not Christians, my friend. Yeah, uh, yeah. A Christian label. And they get behind a computer screen, and all of a sudden they become, you know, theological warriors, and they don't know what they're talking about half the time. I, I love that theological warriors because, um, yeah, yeah, you're, you're exactly right, and, and you're right. And, and to hear you say all of this, it it it, uh, it does add perspective and context, uh, and, and especially with with the people that that I know. And I'm thinking about this one young man, very genuine heart that just got slammed by somebody um, I was watching this conversation unfold it was actually an email exchange and I thought my goodness this you know uh, is is new taste of Christianity is being tainted by by the spirit of wow so anyway okay that, that that's good I'm going to give out your uh, your Twitter address again because I think people should go there now and follow you on Twitter Dr. David M. Berman, just like it's just like it is, Dr. David M. Berman, no periods, no spaces, Dr. David M. Berman, you got it, Dr. David M. Berman, there you go. So uh, follow Dr. David M. Berman on Twitter. I just did, uh, of course, from my personal account, and we did from our studio account. So pile on there because a lot of good information from there. All right, in the, in the final moments here, what can you, what would you like to, uh, just our audience. Uh, uh, your heart, whatever's on your heart, uh, to to wrap up this show, you've got the floor. Whatever you want to talk about, whatever you think is important, it's it's totally up to you. I think the most important thing for your listeners, if they're Christians, is to ask yourself what you have done to expand the kingdom of God. Because there's a Christian mentality that believes that the pastor's the professional soul winner. He's the professional disciple maker. Really, pastors are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. There are, according to uh, Barna Research, only 10% of Americans, based on surveys, hold a biblical worldview. 10% of Americans. So the funny thing is, is that uh, 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. I mean, claim to really be Christians. So there's a disconnect between the scriptures and the, and the people who claim to be Christians. So you've got 10%. But listen, we have 320 million people in this country. So let's just say 30 million. Let's say 20 million. What would happen in this country if 20 million people were actually doing the work for the ministry? We're actually winning souls, making disciples. We're actually getting out their own finances and supporting the things of God. We're actually taking people to church. We're actually meeting people at lunch, buying them lunch, sharing the gospel with them loving them, helping them understand who Jesus is. That would turn this country upside down in a good way very quickly. 20 million people winning one person to Jesus in one year. What do you have? 40 million people. One person again, you have 80 million people. You see what happens. The church is the problem because the people 
will not do what the Word of God says. And now we have many pastors. Thank God there's many good ones. Thank God. But there's many pastors that are horrific who won't even, who will get on television, be asked, for example, by The View, the most liberal show you can possibly watch, asked about abortion, and a pastor got on there, and he would not say abortion was wrong. I saw that. Now, you want to tell me what the problem was with America? And we can, the church can say, it's the secularists, it's the, uh, it's the atheists, it's the colleges, this and that. Certainly there's a problem there. Don't misunderstand me. I, I speak about it all the time. But the real issue is the church itself, where people, preachers are not willing to be preachers. They're hirelings. They won't say it the way it is. They won't preach the gospel. The people will not receive the word of God. They will not win the loss. They will not make disciples. And then they wonder why their country is going to hell in a handbasket. And that's why, most importantly, I think the church needs a, a serious uh, time of repentance, a great awakening, a revival within the church that will ultimately spill out, out into the society. And that's the only hope for the nation. There's no question in my mind about that. History teaches me that. The Word of God teaches me that. Remember this. In Israel... Every revival in Israel started with a revival back to the Word of God. Every single one. Every single revival in history always started with a revival back to the Word of That's God. That's true. If we don't have a revival back to the Word of God in the church, the church will continue to go the way it is, which is a large part of it, not all of it, thank God, but a large part of it either playing church like they think everything's fine like it was 100 years ago, or sort of becoming more and more postmodern, more and more compromised on homosexuality, transgenderism, and all this insanity. And as the church does it, it's going to weaken and weaken and weaken, and the country is doomed. If the church fails, the country is doomed. Let me say it again. If the church fails, the country is doomed, and it's doomed to tyranny. You heard it here. I'm telling you. I know history. I'm a student of history. I read, I study, I don't just talk. I read and study. I'm telling you, if the church fails, this nation is headed for hard tyranny. Wow. And, and yeah, full stop after that, indeed. Um, we, we've got about four or five different emails from, actually one from the UK, and uh, the rest are from continental United, well, North America, anyway, wanting your assessment of Donald Trump as president in the White House. Various the, the questions are all various, uh, worded differently, but but that's the right. essence of the of the uh, emails. Well, the secularists often say, "Well, how come you Christians are supporting Donald Trump? Hmm. Yeah, he's uh, obviously." He's got a bit of a sordid history with the ladies. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, sort of the guy that we would think is uh, he's not going to be the next, uh, uh, you know, president of a Christian denomination. But they don't understand the Bible. God often uses flawed people. God has always used flawed people. God uses people. Donald Trump is in office because God allowed him to be in office. Most Christians would tell you, at least he doesn't hate us. At least he doesn't want to destroy us. At least he believes we have freedom of speech. Now, I think Donald Trump is, I have information uh, that I think is very credible, that people have been speaking to Donald Trump about the Bible, about the gospel, about the things of God quite a bit. I have, I don't want to say who I know, but I know a lot of people, and I have very good information on that. 
but Donald Trump cannot fix the problem because Congress doesn't want to work with him, neither does the Republicans, because Republicans, I hate to give a newsflash to the diehard GOP, uh, many of them are just Democrats in disguise. They're liberals, yep. big government people. This, this left-right paradigm is nonsense. You have real Americans and people who are un-American. You have constitutionals and people who are not. And they're in both, the, both parties have people that are, are totally in favor of big government, totally in favor of getting rid of the, of the constitutional principles and only picking from when they want to. So Donald Trump comes in office. He's not going to fix everything. I give the man great credit for standing up and saying the things he says in the midst of incredible, uh, attacks on, on his character, attacks on everything the man says, the fake news, the lies. So, do I think was was uh, from Donald Trump my choice? No, he was not. My choice was Dr. Carson. Uh, but clearly, you have a choice between uh, Trump and Hillary Clinton. Most Christian people simply chose Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton right. because the thought of Hillary Clinton is enough to make anybody <laughs> choose anybody else. Uh, I mean, this woman, the only go going on her. So. My assessment of Donald Trump is, is he's trying his best to deal with what he's been given to deal with and what he's tried to do. And I, I think he's done a reasonable job from his perspective, what he can do. But again, if Congress refuses to work in particular his own party, what do you expect the man to do? He's done, he's gotten rid of many regulations, which have sincerely helped the economy. But ultimately, money is not God. It's a false god. That's right. If the economy takes off, the country will be destroyed and will go into hard tyranny eventually if the church fails. That's the way it is. So my assessment of Donald Trump on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give him a 6 personally. I think he's tried. He can do better. I don't agree with him on everything. That's for sure. Uh, but he's not the nation's pastor. He's the president. And uh, I pray for the man. I had a prayer meeting at my church for him. Uh, I also prayed for Barack Obama because the Bible can, the Bible commands me to pray for those who are in power. When he was in power, I prayed for him. I prayed that he would, that the Spirit of God be revealed to him, that he would come to know Jesus Christ. I prayed for the health of his family. I don't wish evil on people, but I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say it again. I don't mean to repeat myself, but I am a preacher. So, <laughs> right? That's what we do. The nation has got to come back to Jesus. The church has got to come back to the Word of God. We need a revival. We need the church to come back to the Word of God, and we need that awakening to spill out into society, and we need the people of God to do the work in the ministry. You want this country to, to be saved for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren, and as far down as the, long, the Lord shall tarry, I will tell you right now, you are the key. You, Christian, are the key to this nation. Win someone to Christ. Bring them to church. Tie to the church. Support your preacher if he's a good one. If he doesn't preach the gospel, get out of that church and get in one where they preach the gospel and serve the Lord and win the lost, and you'll see the nation change. Nothing else will change this nation. Nothing. Fantastic. Dr. David M. Berman is our guest, and, and uh, you, you've basically brought us to the end of the program. I would like everyone to certainly follow Dr. David Berman on his Twitter feed, um, hey, that's the way of the world today. There it is on screen. If you're watching this on YouTube, Dr. David M. Berman, that's his YouTube uh, address or name. Twitter. Twitter. Or, I'm sorry, YouTube. Yeah, Twitter. Twitter. 
Twitter. Twitter. Thank you. And of and course, may, may I, uh, may I uh, uh, say something? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I just want to quickly say that, um, I am available, uh, for those watching or if you have other media that wants me, I'm available. I do this a lot because I've got to speak out. I think this needs to be heard. Uh, also available, uh, as my schedule permits for speaking engagements as well, uh, conventions, conferences or whatever, churches, whatever where they want somebody who's going to have the guts to say the things I'm, I'm saying and, and knows how to articulate these things. Uh, so I just want to put that out there. If anybody's interested, feel, feel free to contact me. You can contact me through our website, which is clfchurch.com. You can email me, drdave at clfchurch.com, or you can contact me through Twitter uh, or Facebook as well. I love it, and I would recommend highly uh, to, to have this man as your guest speaker. You know he's going to be a, a, a crowd pleaser. Let me tell you. you, you've heard him on on the show, and I don't think he'll hold back. I think I think, and this is what we need as Christians. This is exactly what we need, especially if you're listening to this and your alternative media. Please, please have this gentleman on uh, to, to appeal to. And inform and enlighten your audience as well, Doctor Berman. Thank you so very much, man. I'll tell you, you, you've been a blessing to us. Thank you. It's been a tremendous honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Do come back again, please, and uh, we'll talk some more. I, I guarantee you, I'll be back. I enjoyed myself. With All right. You guys. All right. Thank you, Doctor David Berman. Thank you so very much, folks. Uh, wow, it, we're almost at the end of the program here, and that see that to me, this is. Joe, to me, I don't think there's any more important issues than what Dr. Berman had talked about. Because, again, this is through the lens, the, the worldview that he's talking about, through the lens of the Christian worldview, I suppose, uh, is the way to say it, or the way I would say it. It's how we look at things. And, and look how far we've fallen as a nation. But, oh, yeah. but, but, but especially what? as a church. As a church, yeah. And the churches, like, like he said, um, if, uh, I wrote it down here, if the church fails, the nation, essentially, it's, it's over. Oh, yeah. You know. Absolutely. And, Despite so, what all these other people think. Right, right. And, and, and no matter how good the economy is, but if the church fails, if we lose what, um, if we lose that, 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 that Christian, uh, the, the the belief system. Help me out. If we if the, we yeah. lose the the Christian worldview, yeah. um, it is it's crazy to see what's happening because, as we talked about with Doctor Berman, it's not just and and he said it best. It's not just the the atheists and and the liberals and you know the communists and all these um, different groups coming in attacking uh, the church and adding to its downfall. It is mostly Christians inside the church from the perverting of the scripture uh, from the the way we live live our lives uh, from not reading the Bible that is first and foremost hurting the Christian church and those exterior forces are just adding fuel to the fire but we are our own worst enemy as the the body of the church and not doing our job the way we should and that's got to change if we want to change the things in our country. And we're going to continue to see the growing divide against apostate Christians and real Christians. And that divide's going to continue to grow. And the real Christians will become more secure in their faith. And the apostate Christians will go further and further from the scriptures and the foundation of Christianity. And we'll see them moving closer to that 
conforming to the world. You know, it's kind of an extension of what we're talking about to compare this to uh, the headlines. 53 Alabama pastors have signed letters of support for Judge Roy, Roy Moore after the Washington Post hit piece. You've got Judge Roy Moore, by the way, slamming discredited ambulance chaser Gloria Allred as a sensationalist leading a witch hunt. And, and he strongly denies new accusations. Looks like he's got his voice. Uh, and he's saying, no, this is all just BS. It's designed to derail uh, my conservative Senate campaign. And, of course, you've got now, the Lindsey Graham. I just want to say this. Lindsey Graham came out and said, even if you win, you lose to more. What kind of, seriously, what, what's that about? Well, what's interesting about this latest uh, claim that, as you said, Gloria Allred paraded her out. Yep. And um, he's Roy Moore saying he denies the uh, allegations of a sexual assault. Says he didn't know the woman, but the woman showed an obscure sign from her yearbook that apparently Roy Moore signed. My question is, if she really did go... And I'm not trying to attack the victim. I'm trying to ask the question. Yes. If she really did feel like he was trying to rape her, why would she come back months later and have him sign her yearbook? Because apparently the yearbook <laughs> signing happened after the incident, which yeah. she's referring to. I don't know. I'm not here to be the judge. I well, just wanted to throw look, that out I, there. I think there, there's... A, in America, and I think we should have the presumption of innocence, whatever happened to that. We don't try cases. We don't try people in the court of public opinion. We try them in courts. And there's everyone is quick to take... You know, if this was... Um, well... You know, I'm just I'm just going to leave it there because we could talk about this all night long. Judicial Watch, by the way, new documents show FBI Director, Deputy Director, that is, Andrew McCabe, did not recuse himself from the Clinton email scandal investigation until a week before the presidential election. This is something I think I'm going to be addressing tomorrow on my morning show, in addition to other matters relating to Sean Hannity specifically. And speaking of Sean Hannity, make sure you read Peter Barry Chalka's articles, folks, please, and tweet them out, put them on your Facebook page. But uh, he has done a fantastic job of outlining the uh, situation with uh, with uh, Sean Hannity. And, the, you know, people, Joe, people still ask me, well, why is that important? I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah. I, I, think, I think bottom line is we did. So one other thing yeah. here before we go. Go ahead. I mentioned this, I think, at the end of the last hour. There's an article up on Fox News right now, and you're sure going to see this mm. tomorrow in the the papers, yep. Yep. even though it's a really a non-story. Donald Trump Jr. releases email communications with WikiLeaks from before the election. <laughs> this is uh, showing Donald Trump Jr.'s correspondence with WikiLeaks prior to the 2016 presidential election. And some people are trying to make this a, a huge deal out of this, saying, oh, this proves Russian collusion because the media has tried to identify WikiLeaks as, as a Russian source, even though it has nothing to do with Russia. And uh, these tweets were out in July, but he has re-released them, and they're trying to make a big deal out of this. We'll see how big of a deal the left-wing media tries to make out of this. But bottom line is Donald Trump Jr. corresponded with a media outlet before the election, and somehow they're trying to twist this into a uh, 
edition of collusion story, like the, right. the smoking gun that's going to bring the, down the house. By, by the way, <laughs> we, 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 the Hagman Report, has been accused of colluding <laughs> with the Russians. And th- there's actually, if you dig, you'll find it. There's actually somebody on, and uh, I think I played it for, for you. Did I play it for you where, where someone is calling for our being hung by the next Oh, yeah, yeah, dead. yeah. So, because we are treasonous. We're traitors. For what, for, for what again? For um, being uh, colluding with Russia, which, oh. uh, where's my, I, 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 I show me the Russians, I'll collude. Show me the paycheck or whatever. Or, or I, but, but anyway, so we, there's somebody out there who believes that we should be hung by our necks until dead. Uh, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to you know. hung by our necks until we <laughs> laugh, I guess, right? Well, the NFL's picking up on this a little bit. Colin Kirkpatrick is suing the NFL for colluding against him. He was a free agent who opted out of his contract and didn't get signed this year because he started the anthem protest. No team wants to sign him. Now he's suing the NFL, citing collusion of two teams in particular, hey. Houston and Green Bay, for not signing him. He, uh, this you know year what? after he opted out of his contract. It's pretty funny, though, the, the collusion word being thrown Collusion. Around. We have to ban that word collusion. We should, right? Yeah, I don't know. But, hey, you sleep in, you sleep with dogs, you get fleas sometimes. And, and with all due respect to dogs, too. Anyway, that'll do it. That'll do it until tomorrow. My uh, 9 to 10, Doug Hagman Radio Show, 2 to 3, Joe and John. And then the flagship show, 7 to 10 on Global Star Radio Network, BTR, and, of course, YouTube. And thank you, Dr. David M. Berman. Thank you so much. Good night.